Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast thank you guys so much for being with us here for episode number 117 here on monday february the 11th 2019 we're here to romp you through the world of retro wrestling i am joe Morata. that guy right there is michael quinn how you doing michael howdy well quinn we have reached another week here in the world of retro wrestling lots of fun stuff going on the 117th week yes it is that's right of all retro wrestling of all of the retro wrestling we thank you guys for being with us here for all 117 episodes plus specials of course we have some great topics in store for for you as we often try to do but before we get to any of that i want to remind you if you have a twitter follow us there at ovp podcast you can also email us if you'd like at ovp podcast at gmail.com that is ovp podcast at gmail.com but quinn probably i'd say in my estimation the best place to talk to me to talk to you and to talk to hundreds of other retro wrestling rompers would be the facebook group yes over at facebook.com slash romp slash retro right so what goes on there yeah, so what's um, the story that, so that site it has something called a search bar facebook um, does yeah yeah it does right but anywho you go to facebook.com and you type in our vantage point dash retro wrestling podcast and then the group shows up you yep. hit join and right. the operators standing by you know doing their thing yeah they're standing there they don't take cod's no one does but you don't really need that because it's free it's free you just join and then you can post things like hi chuck mess <laughs> and stuff uh, like that right gifts and you can, things you can post your royal rankings which probably highly differ from ours you obviously. can do like me and post videos of vince mcmahon commentating about himself in the third person that's right you thank can. you pd winston thank you pd winston yeah uh, yeah join the group and it is free and we want you to be free there you know Bring your opinions, bring your questions, bring your recollections of the retro wrestling, whether you've been a fan for a long time, whether maybe you're just getting into older stuff and exploring some, you know, ground that you've never explored before. Come one, come all, come on already. Go to Facebook.com, search for our group and join it. It really will be a fun time. Very positive environment, not a lot of negativity. Uh, And also, later on in the show, we will mention the uh, in progress, under construction, changing of the Patreon. Patreon Patreons.com. Destruction crews getting involved. They're they're really, they're in the middle of demolition right Right. now. They're picking up some rocks and things. Swinging their uh, heart, you know, their sledgehammers with their hard hats on. Yeah, I mean, that's how they knock down entire buildings. Remember that? Yes, they did. That's that's in KFA. So that's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. More info to come on that. But Quinn, all season long, and we're already at 117 on the uh, on the other half of the season now. You know, we're winding down this season the next few weeks. A lot of wind. A lot of wind. And we've been talking about things that have wound down or fell down. And it's been the downfall series. Stephanie Wind. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie Wind. Welcome to Live Event News New York. I'm Stephanie Wind. And what we're going to be talking about this week, Quinn, was actually your pick. So I would like you to introduce it. It's kind of based off the review, which we'll get to later on. But um, I was thinking about how in wrestling nowadays, right? A lot of people like to say the PG era, but I would say it wound down way before that. The wrestling violence 
maybe it includes hardcore matches to you. Levels of intensity. Impromptu brawls, people right. bleeding, fighting in the crowd, <laughs> okay. that kind of thing. They're cutting themselves with broken glass. They're snapping mousetraps on each other. They're staple gunning their tongues to the fucking turnbuckles. And I guess we should explain that to start here. We'll roll it back a bit. Yeah. Wrestling in its, you know, infancy, or at least it's televised infancy in the 50s and 60s, you know, Gorgeous George days, obviously, the AWA, the mm-hmm. NWA, was very much about straight athletic competition. Right. And Until it was holds. The 70s, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah. About the 70s. A lot of holds, a lot of what we would term rest holds these days, you know, a yeah, lot of I blocks. Mean, if you want to know about that, we covered that in heavyweight wrestling <laughs> we did last week. a couple weeks ago. That's right. You know, in the 70s, there was a promotion, Big Time Wrestling. The original Sheik was the uh, promoter of it by the 70s, actually in the 60s. And they were considered one of the front runners, one of the pioneers in what would later be known as hardcore wrestling. And what that means is it would deviate from all the holds and the locks, you know, and the yeah. laying around and the mat work. And what would they get into, Quinn? You know, just brawling, right. uh, using weapons, Weaponry. fighting outside. Uh, Bloodshed. Cages, like impromptu fights, like right. things like that. And... I don't think that was just them. It wasn't just them. There was also the NWA in general. Well, I mean, they were a pretty bloodshed uh, federation in the 70s and 80s. Obviously, the Tully Blanchard. uh, I think down south, especially, it was more normal down there in New York and Minnesota and things like that. It wasn't as much of that. (sighs) Definitely not. Every once in a while, you got your Sergeant Slaughter boot camp matches and things like that. But it wasn't oh, we're fighting in the crowd and nearly killing people. Right. I think that's a great point that you brought up the Sergeant Slaughter, Pat Patterson boot camp from 81. I think the reason in the WWF circle that that is so well remembered is because it was such a break from the norm. It's a growing sight. This match is growing. Yes. That it, was so it's not rare. normal. And um, I think when you think of that, you also think of Jimmy Snuka bleeding and jumping off a cage sure. kind of thing. Like, these were the rare moments in WWE where violence would occur. Right, but in places down like Continental in the South, and the NWA, too, yeah. uh, for what it's worth. I mean, and Jim Crockett promotions alone, I mean, not as much, but it, there was a lot of blood and guts. There was blood and, and gore, and Al Gore was there, too, yeah. inventing the internet. And I mean, what... he was, he's working on inventing the internet <laughs> right, at that he didn't point. didn't quite do it yet. Yeah. I took the initiative in creating the internet. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of intensity. You could cut it with a knife, so yeah. to speak, and maybe cut each other with a knife. Abdullah the Butcher with his stupid fucking fork. Down in Puerto Rico, Carlos Colon and all his hardcore matches. I mean, look, just look at his face. That youngster. Yeah. <laughs> but young, very young. ECW, obviously, up here in the Northeast, was one of the promotions in the early 90s to really grab a hold of that old school. It was an old school thing. It's just that ECW right. brought it to a new generation. Right. I think ECW was the first to experiment with the idea of bringing it to the, like, that the promotion is that like continental even like it still was kind of like they, they didn't advertise that they were a bloody promotion it was kind of like this shit's happening in the middle of all of this right yeah not every continental angle was and i'd like to talk to tom yeah with getting just, lynched and stuff like you know that. most of the stuff seemed hardcore when we were watching and not just that you know like absolutely but it wasn't the front line like the face of the company is like this is about violence right like and, ecw put it in the damn name like extreme championship wrestling yeah and they did obviously become most known for their violent matches and their bloody brawls and their barbed wire which was also going on in other places japan mick foley sabu were you know big proprietors of that style i think what ecw did what the ones that didn't before it do was that they kind of adopted a like every single match is no rules 
for the most part. Other than you pin them. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There was no count or outs. submitting. That, but, <laughs> it's like every match was just pin or submit. That's it. There's no count out, disqualification, none of that shit. Right. By by 94, 95, there were no count outs in ECW. Are you and kidding me? I always thought it was interesting that ECW didn't really say that. They just, at some point, they were just like, referee leniency. Yeah, like, right, they right. were just like, never acknowledged. <laughs> like, you could get disqualified, but I don't know. You'd have to like, sever someone's head first or something. <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't know like, what you would have to do. That's pretty much true. Now, WWF, obviously, whether or not they were directly influenced by ECW, I'm sure they were. They started to adopt right around 1997 or so a very similar style, but not all the time, but they started to get more intense and there was more, obviously, quote unquote, attitude in general. And by 1998, at the end of the year, they crowned their first ever hardcore champion, which right. led to the hardcore division. This is the WWF hardcore championship belt. And Mick, you've earned it. So they were the first mainstream promotion because I don't really think WCW fully adopted that what ECW was doing. No, they took the other side of what ECW was doing, Quinn, which was the cruiserweights and the really right. good technical they took wrestling, that other piece, which is a right? great piece also. Right, which was fantastic. It really but was. WWE said, okay, they have the cruiserweights. Why don't we take that that brawl style, that everything goes to the outside style, Right. Uh, that people are bleeding, it's smutty. It's, like, <laughs> there's some smut. We'll take all that end of what ECW is doing and yep. we'll build off that. And one of the things, too, it's a bit of serendipity, is they were kind of almost forced into doing that on the main event level because this coincided with Steve Austin's main event run as WWF champion and he had to wrestle this very brawl in the crowd style he had the pleasure I guess in the fortune for us fans to wrestle Mick Foley in his first two defenses. Yeah, well I think it's a combination of both. I, it is. I think a lot of people like to just say well Austin got injured so it's he had part to brawl. Of it. It's but part of it. His, his the, his peers at the time were kind of brawl people. Like Taker was a brawler at that point. Absolutely, uh, Mick, Mick Foley, Foley was the was, biggest notable. And 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 honestly, no one ever really says it, but The Rock was generally like he fought in the crowd a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he and Triple H yeah. in ninety nine two thousand yeah. was also great with that style too. Yeah. Give Triple H credit there; he was really good. That's true at that style. Uh, I'll say that. Um, like these are people that maybe their gimmicks don't say that, that that's what they do right. but if you look in most of their big matches that's what they were doing prior anyway like absolutely like triple h and mankind or triple h and cactus jack mm-hmm. that famous raw on the like weird like board on, yeah on you're the talking raw about the false gun anywhere match yeah, in 97 like, yeah but sure. yeah you know absolutely and obviously the there were a ton of wrestlers that in the 70s harley race being one uh, that were very good dusty roads at the hardcore style despite not being known primarily for yeah those, well, I mean, those Terry guys, Funk called it the uh, HC fans. Yeah, like, the hardcore fans. Remember? That's right, he yeah. did. Uh, so, as the 2000s roll on, WWF still has a lot of this intensity, but it starts to become, in my mind, Quinn, by, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, this is part of the downfall, WWE, you know, they go public. Right, and now they're the only wrestling, too. TNA, yeah, TNA's doing some of this stuff, but it's just TNA. It's just not as TNA wide an have, audience. I think TNA tried to, like, kind of gloss it up a little bit like i always felt like the x division like the match with the xy thing which is like kind of a scaffolding match yeah. but no scaffold it's right. like just a, a wire or whatever that thing but like that so was dumb. their like it was like too glossy it's still not the raw like bloody like motion too people would bleed and stuff in tna too right but you know it's just it, it still was wwe junior which like you said, WWE was now getting towards the like 
we're in the stockholder era and yeah. we can't do that anymore. I mean, they had been public since 99. It's just that in 2008, they decided to formally make their product PG as I much think it as was possible. winding down before that as far as the blood and guts. Throughout the 2000s, it I was. after the war was over, yep. it considerably like lower amounts of blood and guts. Yep, and then you had promotions. I want to mention this too so I don't forget. That took it too far in the other direction in the early and mid-2000s. One of them would be the unfortunate spiritual successor to ECW which was XPW, Extreme Pro Wrestling. And there was also CZW. And I was going to say Combat Zone. Yeah, so Combat Zone was like a... Re- <laughs> They're awesome, though. <laughs> I kind of like so Combat junk. Zone, but it was kind of like a reaction, right? It was yeah. like, well, if you're going to take our blood and guts away, we're going to do it like tenfold. Like, we're right. going to do it even worse than ECW did it. And that's where one of our favorites came from, right? Necro Butcher. Yeah, Necro Butcher was a weird kind of character because... He always reminded me of, like, Mick Foley, but Mick Foley was, like, retired by then. Yes. But what was cool about him that I liked a lot was that he was able to kind of leak into the more respectable indies, like Ring of Honor. Yeah, right, right, right. Which, they didn't have guys like him. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, he was kind of a nice, like, oh, it's Necro Butcher. (laughs) Like, oh, he's different. Like, he... But that just goes to show you how even everything, like, Ring of Honor, a company called Ring of Honor, it's about honor and respect that's how yeah that's how it started sure you know there was a lot of wild brawls but still i loved it the briscoes and guys like that it was great. yeah but i mean still there was still this core like this isn't hardcore wrestling no this is wrestling so i don't know what happened to this like it it, well nowadays it's like even if question even if they brawl outside it feels like they have like a spot for them to do it and it's like everything's like engineered and stupid it doesn't feel organic anymore i think in wwe scan strictly speaking wwe now because i know that there's still good versions of this out there but let's just talk wwe it's a reflection of the overall Probably homogenization, the overproduction, the overscripted, the over-choreographed nature of the product. We're talking now, Quinn, an era where TLC is a fixed pay-per-view. Hell in the Cell right. is a fixed pay-per-view. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, these types of matches were, were impromptu. Correct. And they were used to blow off a few, not scheduled. Not just scheduled in there. Well, the problem is, is that they decided at some point that the hardcore matches would be treated like the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Right? It was like... Which, you know, works for the Royal Rumble because it's not really like it's supposed to be special like that. Like these kind of matches, like you said, are are storyline enders. That's what they... they, Yes, when they're done right. Yeah. Like they're not supposed to be like Hell in the Cell is now a pay-per-view. Right. It wasn't like, you know, I mentioned earlier the Tully Blanchard Magnum TA I Quit match. It wasn't like there was their yearly I Quit match and it just happened to be Tully and Magnum that year. Now, I think it's a combination of a couple things. I, I think first and foremost, I think that they're taking the legacy of these brutal matches and they're monetizing it, like branding it, right? Yeah. Right, it's like like a YouTube freaking ad. So I just created this dope website with Wix. Let me show you how I did it. Who cares? I get the idea, and I don't think it's like the worst idea. I just think it's the way it's executed is improper, but... I just think like the idea that you can get your fan base it's like oh it's like October so we know Hell in the Cell right it's like oh Hell in the right. Cell we like Hell in the Cell like right. does but, anyone anymore but the problem is yeah it's like it doesn't <laughs> if you don't like I don't know spread it out like why doesn't WrestleMania have a Hell in the Cell match or exactly right like, yeah like, because like I don't know some feud ended like then you know <laughs> right and uh, you know speaking of Hell in the Cell. I am in no way advocating for wrestlers to put their bodies on the line even more so than they and already do. That's a good dovetail because I think that's the other part of this. Right. Is that so after the explosion? 
explosion, right? What ECW did was it made it kind of like, oh, this is a really popular thing. And then WWE started doing, you know, all every time bloody like yeah. in every match. And then WCW that. did it poorly for yeah. a couple of years with Brian Knobs well, and stuff. What was the end result of this, right? Careers were cut short, essentially. Like Mick Dangerous. Foley was. A, how old was Mick Foley when he retired? Formally? Yeah. 34. That guy, as far as like how popular he was and yeah. what a cash cow he could have been to the yeah. company. He should have gone till he was 40, but he didn't. That's a young man, by the way, because like I'll be yeah. 34 this year. Just think right. about that. You exactly. Know? And now they make everything ultra safe. And again, I don't blame them for not wanting to hurt themselves and for the company not wanting people to get hurt. I get that. You know, I don't want yeah. them to just break their necks and shit. But look at the hell in the cell. Look at the cell now. There's footholds for it. Like they expect I, you to climb. I know. And I we complain about that, but I, I kind of agree with that's like for the it. safety of the people Listen, involved. Like I do get yeah. it, but that is what cuts down on the authenticity and right. the intensity and the believability. That's we were asking what went wrong that's one of the things right and there's have, a lot of things i have noticed one thing that they've done with the footholds deal maybe this was like a reaction to like trying to sort of make it better yeah they used to have footholds all over the place but now it's almost like hidden in like a corner or yeah. a connecting point still maybe they're trying to like they want the safety but they're trying to put it in disguise kind of like you know what i mean i understand that yeah i think overall here look i think types of matches that are bloody, that have violence. I think it's something that when it's done right, which it was a lot, it, it really wakes the crowd up. You get into it. Like Brett yeah. Austin, for example, yeah. WrestleMania 13 is great. Mick Foley versus Triple H. And obviously there's a lot of stuff from the 80s, NWA, even the, the Continental stuff. When it's done right and done not too much, not too often, it's really wonderful. When it's not done at all, you kind of do lose something, even if you yeah. don't realize it at the time. And I think that's where we're at, I right? Think, I think a side effect of all of this is nowadays, right? Here are some things that happen from the downfall. First of all, violent matches spread across the year, like we talked about, at like scheduled intervals. Which I don't like. Second of all, now you have a audience that when they like see something violent, instead of being like, this is awesome, like this is so cool, right? Right. You get an audience that is like, oh, are they protecting? Like, you have this weird, like, critique mm. of, like, it's like, what a horrible company that they would allow their wrestlers to do these stunts, these stunts which were normal things, right? Right. And thirdly, you have weird things like the wrestlers trying to, the ones that really want to hone their craft, doing things that might even be more dangerous but don't appear to be because they want to convey this. Like, for example, the apron spots, the Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's the hardest part of the ring, yeah, right, like, right, right, right. like them trying to like invent shit. And I, that actually is technically a really, you could like break your back. Oh yeah. Like, Shawn Michaels hurt his back yeah. on the ring apron. Right. Exactly. Now you're forcing them to do things that might even be more dangerous, but just don't appear that way. That's fair. Quinn. Like, you know what I mean? Still breaks so it's like all way. these weird side effects of just not letting them like blade every once in a while. But like, do you think we're in a position where wrestling needs that? I don't know if we ever are going to see this in WWE again. I know you will on independence. I'm sure you will in AEW. I think it's kind of necessary. I, I don't know but why. In it's what like, context? Me, Let's put it that to way. To me, that's the essence of a blood feud. You know, how do you have a blood feud if there's no blood? Well, like, you just make fun of each other and crappy promos every week and, yeah, on Twitter. It, it kind of takes like the whole time we've been talking about authenticity and mm -hmm. stuff like that. It takes that out of it in a weird way. And they have to think of really convoluted ways to really convey that, like, I hate you. I think you nailed it there with that line. 
I yeah. really do. That is a great way to, to describe the state of the intensity in wrestling today is they have to think of convoluted ways to say I hate you. I think that's perfect, Quinn. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But, I mean, the easy way to do that for years was just bloody the guy or up. T- yeah, right. A sneak attack, bloody the guy up, beat him up in the parking lot. You know, yeah. and, but in such a way where it really conveys real violence and real emotion, even though they're not really yeah. hurt. I mean, do you think do you think it all has something to do with uh, a society where, you know, we see kind of more brutal stuff on the news and maybe they um, don't want to convey that in people's entertainment necessarily i don't think vince gives a shit about what people think yeah no shit because i'm just saying a, a attack in the parking lot nowadays could be perceived as like some something worse than that you know? <laughs> that's true you know what i mean yeah and before this turns into a social commentary yeah. on the state of society in 2019 i'm just saying do you think that's even like a, a, a factor in their heads you know what i don't know but folks let us know what you think uh, about the overall violence in wrestling, hardcore wrestling. Does it have a place today? Will we ever see it on a big level? I'm, I'm talking WWE again, because again, I know it exists elsewhere. What are your recollections of it? What are your thoughts? I think personally, Quinn, I don't think we're ever seeing that style, and, and for better or for worse, I don't know, in WWE again, not yeah, on a major... I mean- I mean, again, I, as I say about everything, never say never, but like, True. you know, you never know what could trigger a profound change where that will be what they do. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, folks, uh, we hope you can trigger yourselves over to Twitter or go ahead and join the group. Let us know your thoughts. But, Quinn, when we come back, we are winding down now as only eight guys are left in the pool for the Royal Rankings. We'll be, be pulling two more out and find out where they rank. That is coming up right after this. It desensitizes the people to seeing somebody get hit by a chair when they get hit by a chair 11 times and they get up. It's stupid. It serves no purpose. It's not entertaining except in a kind of a, you know, two dogs screwing on the side of the roadway. Um, What do you come back with? How do you top it? Why would you cripple yourself at a young age or mutilate yourself for no compensation in front of very few people? Learn to entertain people, but learn to be an athlete, learn to wrestle, learn to be a manager at ringside, learn to do a promo, but don't wrap yourself up in barbed wire and beat yourself with broken glass. It's fucking foolish. From Harley Race to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair to The Rock, Sting to Steve Austin, you're listening to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, here in episode number 117. It is February 11th, 2019, but for Michael Quinn, it might as well be Christmas, Quinn. You want to explain? I, during the break, I was handed a um, an envelope with a VHS tape in it, and um, <laughs> apparently it might be the holy grail of WCW yes. that I've been looking for yes. for a long time. The worldwide that was like after the company went out of business, but it was like they're actually acknowledging <laughs> that it went out of business on it. The week after the one that we reviewed earlier in the season from right. March 24th. It's not the, the penultimate episode. No, the ultimate, the final WCW worldwide after WCW <laughs> was sold to Vince McMahon. And it's like fading away it's, or something. It's practically in black and white. It's yeah. gray. And we, I, want to watch this like 
if we review it, Joe, which we might, but I might even watch it before then because I need to, I just need to know for my own sanity about this show. You are going to watch it as soon as we are done here. I, I might know you get, are. I might go back to HQ and turn this on <laughs> because I am. I'm like She's ecstatic, champing folks. at the bit right now. Champing at the bit. Well, yeah. folks, if you want to be a champ, you can go to our Patreon. We do have one. It's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Now, we're not going to get into the nit and grit right now, but we are revamping things like we mentioned. Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom are over there destroying yeah. it, rebuilding it, They're constructing it. Things are going on. What we've got right now coming up for you, this is the way the format's going to be. It's three tiers, $2.00. $3 and $5 and the $5 tier is the new one that's going to include monthly pay-per-view reviews and Quinn and I are releasing the first one very soon and it's very called, soon I think it's imminent right it's imminent and it's called Wrestlemania you ever heard of that yeah it was a show that was a big deal kind of yep and these are full-length podcasts these reviews they are audio podcasts they are fully edited and produced the same way this weekly Monday show is so if you are at all interested in any of the fine rewards that we have Go over to patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Check it out. And if you don't want to donate, hey, that's fine, too. We're just thankful that you listen to the show. But, Quinn, it is now time for the Royal Rankings. Now, the Royal Rankings has been very controversial this, uh, this yeah, people season. People are very upset about <laughs> Jim Cornette and Tony Schiavone. Lance Russell. I, yeah, like, I... I guys, I'm gonna remind you, it's science. It's science, really. That's all this is here. We're doing experiments in our lab. I saw a tweet recently. Somebody was like, Jim Cornette, he, he commentated everything or something. They were very mad about <laughs> yeah, it. Ladies you know? Professional Wrestling Association. Like, what? <laughs> Who the fuck watched that? Again, as I said, I think last week, I said something regarding uh, if a tree falls in an abandoned forest and Jim Cornette calls it, <laughs> like, did it actually happen? Like, That's true, Quinn. So, folks, what we're doing, if you're new to the show, if this is your first time around here, the Royal Rankings is where we ask you, the fans, to vote on your favorite something. In this case, it was commentators, both play-by-play -play and color. 20 names out of 40 or 50 make the top 20. What we do is random drawing every week. We draw two names into the list, and then we rank them. And where we are right now, we have 12 on the board. I'm going to run that down. At number one, as of last week, controversial pick, I know, color man extraordinaire, it is Jesse the Body Ventura. I think he deserved it. I think he deserved it, too, personally, and I'll stand my ground on that. I don't like the number two of Tony Schiavone, what? but that ship has sailed. I can't do anything about it. He's Tony Schiavone. I know, but number three. He called the Hogan Hilter. I know that, Michael, but number three is Lance Russell. He should be the number two or maybe uh, even number one still. The Lance Russell reverence He's great. amongst the community is really starting to bug me uh, anyway that, he's the he's the like bob Backlund of this list like the, like dare. everyone don't is like you ever well, it was this for no this no years, no so you, you don't go. start up with yeah. the smart stuff here <laughs> number four is joey styles which is fine i'm okay with that number five a little too high jerry the king lawler hey remember king <laughs> yeah I remember he's him. number five man he's hanging in there number six is the the newest announcer on the list, Mauro Ranallo. Very respectable, Mamma Mia. Yep, and someone had said, you know, why are there newer announcers? It's simple, the fans voted it in. Yeah, we, we don't have any control over we, who's been voted in. We're just going to take what you guys give us. Number, we don't even vote. We don't vote, no, yeah. that's true. We just rank. Number seven is Mike Tanay, old cheese voice. <laughs> old cheese voice. Mr. I think Parmesan. every single episode that he's been talked about, you've said old cheese voice. <laughs> you call like cheese breath at one point. <laughs> like preferencing or whatever. <laughs> Number eight, I wish he was higher, but we just signed Science, Bob Cottle. I love yeah. him. Bobby the Cottle. Bobby the Cottle. It's always like you compare somebody to Cottle and you're like, eh, they're a little bit better. Right. <laughs> Number nine, the guy that ate all the cheese, Paul Heyman, big yeah. round man there. Oh, you, can you get off that? <laughs> He's large and in How charge. How many weeks in a row with this Paul's fat stuff? Just two. Okay. Uh, number 10, Michael Coe. 
Yeah, Michael Coe. Good, good low ranking well, for him. Well, still better than some other names. He might such get knocked out this week. He might, actually. Number 11 is Sean Mooney here. I'm hey. talking to Brian Knobs. <laughs> is that? He's doing that, like, soon, Good right? for him. Yeah. And number 12, Jim Cornette. You know, the controversial, I think the most controversial pick here is Jim Cornette at number 12. I heard he called a, a match in Munchkin Village recently. <laughs> something I don't all know. right well with that said here the mayor I, of munchkin city hired him for commentary let's let's go to the fink ladies and gentlemen it is now time for the royal rankings yes sir we promised you a great main event here tonight roach touch sherry first so we've got a great matchup here. His eyes are closed. He can't open them. the Royal Rankings week number seven here. Wow, we are getting down to the nitty and the gritty here. Michael, two more guys are about to be brought in. We're going to see where they fall here. Probably a big, big day here, right? I'm, yeah, and I'm sure we'll generate more controversy. But again, guys, science. Yeah, science That's all rules. it is. There's lab coats here and Bill clipboards. Bill Nye lives here. Beekman's World is yeah. here, too. And Beaker. Yeah, and Beaker. Don't forget the you know, Beaker. You know, headliner on the board <laughs> yeah. group page or whatever. God. Thanks, Van Antwerp, for that He one. was in WWE, Will Beaker. you stop just enough with Beaker, all right? Get, get He's this, a superstar. Get Muppet shit out of here. All right. One day, downfall, Muppets. Stop. All right, Quinn, without any further preamble, why don't we go ahead and find out who drew number 13? Last pair of buns I signed was a stripper Would you kitty stop? Litter. That's not necessary. Holy shit. This is a big boy. This is another big one. Last week, we kicked it off with Jesse Ventura. This week, it's Bobby the Brain Heenan. Come on, Brain. Brain is the bomb. He really is. Now, Bobby Heenan got a lot of votes. Let me just put it that way. He got a lot of votes, and he obviously is a color commentator. I'm sure we'll reveal the vote count. And the the finale. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Now, Bobby Heenan, if I had to guess... Everyone thinks of Bobby Heenan with Gorilla Monsoon, and that's yeah. not all he did. Had he gone to school and got an education, he could have got it. He could have had himself a good job, but no, he wants to leech off the government and my good tax money. Paid almost two hundred dollars last year. Will you stop? Uh, take care of that scumbag. The hardest to leave the ring, a, a ring around the Atlantic Ocean. I'm going to leave it. a ring around your neck in a minute. That team, and we're not ranking teams, we're ranking individuals, is probably the most fondly remembered broadcast team, even if you're an NWA fan and you know who these guys are. I think it's always between Gorilla and Jesse and Bobby and Gorilla. Absolutely. Generally is, in terms of WWF, anyway. Now, Bobby Heenan is the funniest announcer I've ever heard in my entire life. Without question. He absolutely is. I mean, the guy could just think up stuff off the top of his head. Back in Oklahoma, Bobby, we call a match like this a slobber knocker. I thought that's what they call the waitress at the Tip Top Cafe in downtown Tulsa. He was the Don Rickles of wrestling in terms of his sharp, quick wit and his insult comedy. Yep. But that's not all he did. And obviously, we'll get into that when we get into ranking and, you know, what he did in his career. But Bobby Heenan, as the color commentator, that started in 1986. Yeah, pretty early on. And he was 
well into his managing career and he oh, yeah. was still managing people for many years after that. All the way until 91. He started out as a wrestler in the 60s. He then quickly became a manager as well. Was a manager all throughout the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. Came to the WWF in 1984 from the AWA strictly as a manager for the first two years. And then when Jesse Ventura went off to do Predator, I believe it was, in the spring of 86, mm-hmm. first thing is that they put Bobby on primetime to replace him. And that's what led to the famous and such a fun show the gorilla and bobby pairing on primetime that lasted for five years now i will say something here there might be a bit controversial things going on with this ranking because joe was saying how does primetime count because it's a host job instead of a commentator job it is they would commentate on there sometimes on those weird msg matches yeah i don't think it was really there usually was like one match a show where they were like doing something that's fine and whether we even include anything they did on primetime or not bobby's work as a commentator on its own stands anyway i think that establishes basically the bobby the brain heenan storyline as a commentator in general like just all the stuff on prime time it would get like mentioned and it's where he becomes a broadcast journalist obviously right where that all starts but bobby did immediately start teaming up with gorilla anyway in 86 on wrestling challenge right the new show so they did actually do a show each week yeah that's what i meant by like on prime time a lot of those challenge matches would end up on there anyway this is a good point so bobby and gorilla were the main challenge team Pretty much, with some notable exceptions, like the insertion of Tony Schiavone for a bit in 89. Tony Schiavone, as Tony, Tony Jabroni. Yeah. <laughs> they were the main challenge team, the B-Show on the Cindy's, from 86 until 1993. That's a hell of a commentary team for a B-Show, by the way. Gorilla and Bobby, yeah. right? You notice now, a punch. How's that? A punch. Right. Yes, you need a punch. Simple for you. You need a punch. But not only that, Bobby would do some occasional uh, MSG shows throughout 86, 87. Yeah. He also filled in for Jesse Ventura for a Saturday Night's main event. I believe it was the one where uh, the Mega Powers are first for It's the one where Elizabeth is in the yep. white dress and, and you know, Bobby yeah. almost hits her and he says it's like a some kind of thing in Sheboygan or whatever. I forget. Yeah, Lampshade in Des Moines. Lampshade in Des Moines, <laughs> yes. Right. So Bobby was a, a very funny commentator even in the late 80s but it was really when jesse left and they needed someone that wasn't roddy piper to do yeah. the pay-per-views with gorilla because piper just was not good at it so they, uh, he sucked he, he wasn't good thank god they got rid of that they, they waited too long to fix that yeah so wrestlemania 7 was bobby's pay-per-view debut with girl monsoon and they are freaking hilarious there fred oh Catal is one of the, the ones Catal thing um maybe their like shoes the, are too tight the setup with regis the whole thing with Regis, yeah, right? Yep. But throughout the whole WrestleMania 7, they are amazing together. They're I so funny. I think throughout funny. 91, there's a lot of good lines, too. Um, There's SummerSlam 91 where Brain, he leaves to go show the, the title to sure. fake Hogan. He's not even really there. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back, and I always like the line where he goes, like, what did I miss? Oh, DiBiase's wiping the, the floor, floor with Virgil. Virgil. Oh, the usual. Yeah. Like, he just, like, it's stuff like that, yep. like, that he would just, like, pick up, because he did just, like, walk just out there. He literally like, did, he, yeah. That just, to me, always showed his his quick wit like he yep. just sits at the table and he's like oh what like oh this like, yep. and he had a great run of pay-per-views with Gorilla Monsoon he did Survivor Series 91 they're very funny there yep. Tuesday in Texas and of course their major highlights were the Royal Rumble 92 yep. that is Bobby's main event as a commentator and I mean WrestleMania that's 8, and right? WrestleMania 8 now Royal Rumble 92 people like to point this out as one of the best called shows they've ever heard uh, I agree I agree Why, what makes this special right 
Bobby has stakes, but he's also an announcer. Yeah. So he is the financial consultant or advisor mm-hmm. or something. That's right, for, to Ric Flair. For Ric Flair. And all through this match, Ric Flair is fighting for his life, basically, and trying to get the WWF title in you know, the Royal Rumble. And Bobby hangs on his every move. So the best part that sets up this whole, like, it feels like a big tangent the whole rest of the show after Ric Flair comes out. Ric Flair comes out at number three. And you can insert it now, but I just love the reaction of Bobby. He says, damn it. He says, damn it. And then my favorite other part about it is Gorilla goes, oh, Brain, you can kiss it goodbye. Yep, it's great. And there's a bunker. No. Oh, yes. Damn it. It's Rick Flair. From that point forward, he is on his A-game. Dynamite. The rest of the show. When Flair wins. When he gets, like, knocked around by anyone. Oh, it's amazing. Like, it's so good. And and Gorilla's, like, working hand-in-hand hand oh, with it. Oh, my goodness. He's great. He's egging him on the whole time. It's fantastic. It's so good. It's- Barbarian doesn't like Flair. I yeah. love to quote that one. Oh, and- yeah. He starts turning brain <laughs> against his own people. Yep. Like, it's, it's amazing. Barbarian doesn't like Flair. And then they have a great follow-up to that at WrestleMania 8, especially the Flair-Savage match. Gorilla's all over Bobby after that when Flair loses. He's all... They get into a big argument during the Martell-Tatanka match. Doesn't he, like, almost, like, brains, like, almost, like, crying? near the Like... You're not gonna get me upset! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that whole thing. And then there's also weird stuff at that WrestleMania 8 pay-per-view where, like, Lex Luger appears. He's like, see you June 13th, Bobby. The milk promo. Like, Bobby is, like, all over. Like, it's like the preview to Narcissus. Right. basically exactly and then they would go on or bobby would go on to do uh, the rest of 92 with vince he did SummerSlam and survivor series with vince yep. i thought he was great with vince the too. survivor series um later on also i think it's one of bobby's last 93 when he goes to the whole heart family oh, thing it's, great. it's like to me it's like king ripped off like all of that stuff you would think so right because like bobby just as soon as you tell him that Helen and Stu are there oh, and that it. they had like 13 kids. The eating. gears are turning. Like, it's just joke on joke on joke, at one after the other. That is a tour de force of Arbor yeah. Series 93. Directly behind you is Helen Hart and the brothers, as well as some of the sisters. And that's the smell. Stop it. Friend- He's going to wake up. He's going to come over here, Bobby. That'll take two hours. We'll be off the air. Wouldn't you classify the 20 members of the Hart family oh, living together as classified as a ghetto? His final pay-per-view with Gorilla would be Royal Rumble. Then he was with JR and Savage for WrestleMania 9 and King of the Ring. Did great work with them, too, I thought. Yep. Vince again for SummerSlam 93 and Survivor Series. And yeah, I mean, Survivor Series 93, his final pay-per-view at WWF is freaking awesome. And that's not all. He goes to WCW. Right in January 94, he comes in and basically usurps Jesse Ventura as yep. their main color guy. He works notably with Tony Schiavone throughout 94. Great team. They really are a good team, especially those first couple years. It's kind of one of those things that that's like why I started regarding Shivani so high, because it's like the way he worked with Brain was Great. really good. And also the way um, Brain worked with Dusty and, and Shivani. That's another dream team right yep. there. You know the phrase, no pun intended? It's supposed to mean you just said something funny by accident. And while a lot of people, and they're not wrong, say that Bobby's, you know, he, he kind of fell off a bit in WCW, he did, but 
don't ever sleep on his first couple of years because 94 to about 96, yeah. 97, he's really good. He's I, even good in 98 still. You know what? A lot of people like to crap on um, Bobby's like final years. But he did be, get drunk a lot, too, to, on the air. To be honest, there was if you watch those shows, whereas it's not like Rumble 92 where every line is brilliant. No. There's a lot of like quick, like cutting remarks that yeah. like come out of nowhere, even as late as like 98, 99. Still good in 98. Like, like there's there's times when he'll just he'll be right on and say the perfect uh-huh. thing. And it's and to me, that's the the nonchalant brain. That's the brain where it's just the stuff comes to him so quick right. that it's like even when he's not trying, he just spits out gold. Right. And I will say this, too, in his credit here. The NWO, and when that formed, it, Bobby changed his character a bit to become more neutral. I would say it's the closest thing we got to a neutral, but he still he was, was still kind good. of a heel. He was because, still Bobby Heenan. Right, because there'd be points where he would like, you know, I'm out of here, pal. Yeah. Like, or he'd like run away. Or sometimes even like him be like, I'm working with the NWO. Oh, wait, now I'm working with WCW. Right, right. And then like the NWO guys would come out. It's like, oh, wait, I'm working with the NWO. Yeah. And then, then Bischoff would come back like four fucking times and one like, oh, I'm with you, Bischoff. I like, know. you know, like, he was still was, the like, weasel. I've got to be with NWO Nitro because they're, the, you, you guys are the winners right now. I can see that right now. If one of the other ones was dominating the feud between the two, uh, yeah, he just did a classic heel thing, yeah, right? Yeah, he would just switch to whoever was in charge. Now, he was a, he was still great at selling the drama of what was going on. We'll get more into him and where he ranks, obviously, in a little bit. But I would say that by the time, by 99, 99 to 2000, he probably clearly didn't care anymore, actually, I would say. Well, you know, he said in, in interviews, like, that he thought the company was in pretty bad shape. And he hated it. Especially by 99. Yeah, and he hated WCW. He said it was poorly run, it was horrible, it was yeah. the Walmart of uh, wrestling. <laughs> yeah. You know, Vince was Neiman Marcus and Eric Bischoff was Walmart, was one of his quotes. Eric Bischoff was a used car salesman that just happened to be involved in wrestling. How would you compare him to Vince? Or oh. Is there a no comparison? Walmart, Neiman Marcus... But overall, Bobby Heenan's career didn't fall off too hard. He only had a couple of bad years towards the end, similar yeah. to Jesse Ventura. Where and I would say we'd be remiss not to mention his kind of his final appearance on commentary at the Gimmick Battle Royal at WrestleMania 17. Yep. Uh, WrestleMania 17, as I say, is one of the best shows ever, and it's added to by having Bobby on commentary for a match. Yep, Bobby and Gene Okerlund, yeah. uh, which was great. Obviously, I'm sure if Gorilla were still alive, that it would have been Gorilla Monsoon. Honestly, I always thought that if Bobby hadn't had um, the problems he had with uh, throat cancer... Throat cancer they probably would have like he would have been like probably a guest at WrestleMania every year. I mean, something. how could you how could you not have Bobby come out and call a match? I mean, until his dying day, he still yeah. had his wits about him. Even exactly. If he That's why himself. I was like, I thought it was sad because he finally comes back. I could totally see Vince bring him back as a guest ever, like almost every WrestleMania, like on like clockwork. Yeah. It would have made total sense. Kind of the same way they bring back Gino would bring back Gino or like a they lot. Would bring back the Fink at WrestleMania sure. for a period of time yep. every now and like then. That kind of thing. Like that's the perfect slot for like a legend like the brain. He's like retired, but he comes in once a year to call a match or those old school Raws. Yeah, and stuff that like too. that. Yeah, and Bobby was still on fire. He had he had notable lines just from WrestleMania 17. Like by the time the Iron Sheik gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. Remember yeah. that? By the time the Iron Sheik gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. Imagine him commenting about The Rock or something, right? In Austin and stuff like, like that. Like he probably would have made fun of you. Smell what The Rock's cooking. Like he would have. Yeah, I smelled s- it the other day. Yeah, you know, something yeah, like yeah. That. You know, like a brain line <laughs> about that. Do. Yeah, but that's Bobby Heenan, one of the all-time best. Obviously, we will see where he ranks. But Quinn, it's now time to find out who drew number fourteen. I 
knew this fat this fat chick when I was in high school. She was a really good dodgeball player. Quinn, it's the Taz. It's the Taz and the Oompa Loompa himself. Now, this is an interesting one. A, he, yeah, he made the list, folks. He's there. So you guys voted him in. Don't get mad at us. Yeah. Uh, he's here. Now, I like Taz. He, I don't mind Taz either, I don't honestly. Have, I think he's pretty good. Yep. He was a wrestler, obviously, the Tasmaniac. Yep. Then he turned into the good version, uh, just plain Taz. Big yeah. fight feel, kind of proto-UFC type. He's a guy that I ECW. always... He's a Jesse the Body guy. He got his career cut short. He did by injury. When he yep. came, when he came to WF though, they didn't do him any favors because of the jumpsuit. Oh yeah, the, that whole thing. Well, it was weird because at first he didn't have the jumpsuit, the and singlet. then randomly they just gave him like pajamas or something. Like I don't know what that was. <laughs> it was interesting though, Quinn, because he came into WWF after his great career in ECW and his People notoriety. Thought he was going to be like like a main eventer. Like, he could have been honestly. If yeah, they do you, like him, do you right? remember the excitement when he did yes. it? It was like. Oh, Taz is going to shoot right up to the main event. Like, it totally makes sense to have him fight Stone Cold and The Rock and all that. And Triple H, he actually yeah. did fight Triple H, beat him. But, yeah. you know, he w- he came in the early 2000. He only wrestled in 2000. Yeah, and that was it. it. By the end of the year, he was a heel by this point. Remember, he was making fun of JR and then King punched him. Yeah. That's kind of when he stopped wrestling was right so, around that time. So that had to do with, like, a lingering neck injury for when he broke his neck, right? Yeah. That had he, something to do with that. When- he was just injured. Yeah, exactly. He had had an injury when he broke his neck what 96 or something 95 yeah. i can't he came remember back the year. after like almost a year recovery and exactly he, was, he seemed fine up until that point but i guess it was still bothering him and here's the thing when jerry lawler quit he was also the smackdown announcer so yeah. paul Heyman replaced lawler like we mentioned on raw and taz is the guy that replaced king on smackdown with michael Fantastic. cole which led to the team that i really like michael cole's best work and partially due to taz the taz and michael cole smackdown team for yes, those few taz. years the taz well, i'm mike animally alongside the taz taz developed he was kind of awkward at first he's got that new york voice you know yeah. but he really did develop in a short amount of time into a very solid neutral heel leaning Color you know what, commentator. You know what I think some of his best work is, and now I know you don't like this version of this character, but he always seemed to add legitimacy the way Taz called it. Yeah. To the Undertaker as a striker. Like the way Taz <laughs> I never I never heard anyone talk about the Undertaker like an athlete until Taz. I'll be completely honest with you. Okay. Taz that's fair. was like with the JR? Fir- no, with Cole over on the, sm- no, the Smackdown do Six era. But did JR try to do the athlete thing with Undertaker? No, no because JR wasn't on SmackDown when the Undertaker was starting to wear the yeah, I, boxing glove things or I whatever know the UFC era, glove. The Hell's Gate finisher and all I that. I thought shit. Taz picked up that making him into that kind of character, developing that part of his his character because Taz added it to with the whole like he does the Kanta Hajime he knows about UFC <laughs> right, fighting right. thing like so to hear Taz say like oh the Undertaker's a pure striker and this and that like I never heard that before until Taz and I actually thought as much as people don't like that right I thought that was a great job by Taz okay that's fair I completely understand what you're saying there I thought Taz was just kind of refreshing because again King had been the SmackDown guy yeah. for a couple of years, right? And King was King, and we know where we stand on King, each of us individually, right? He's <laughs> good. Okay. Don't leave King alone. All right. But it was nice. Just the way Paul Heyman was a refreshing change paired with JR. Yeah. Taz was a very refreshing change. It felt like a younger, a new generation of commentators. And it really brought out the best in Michael Cole, I think, and vice versa. They're yeah, fun they- to listen to. As Undertaker goes for the side headlock to start things off against the 400-pound Mark Henry. That, I, I believe that's a smart strategy by the Undertaker because Mark Henry's so powerful. Maybe you hook him in a nice hold like that, a headlock, and you squeeze his head. You'll try and get him a little dizzy. 
Trying to wear him down. Undertaker might not know what to do with a man this strong. There seemed to be a respect between the two. Yeah, there um, was, right? Like, they were legit friends. Like, Taz was learning, but there was a point where I almost, I hate to say it, like, Taz learned very, so quickly that he almost became Cole's equal, like, within six months. I don't disagree entirely with that. Like, he was such a quick learner with that, with commentary. I think Taz is a natural broadcaster. Yeah, he I mean, really is. He really is. And he, his voice is so distinctive, not grating, but, like, distinctive. It's just like, you know Taz is here. And he kind of gives you this feel of, you got this kind of local New York sounding type right and he cut like maybe to the southern crowds maybe crowds outside new york area he seemed a little bit grating but to me he felt like oh this is the guy you'd sit on your couch and watch wwe with right you know what i mean and like to me it was comforting you bullshit with him with him at the bar and stuff right exactly exactly he had that feel that like welcoming feel to him right and obviously being a wrestler he knew how to sell stuff. You hadn't heard commentary like that in a long time where he would just sell the in-ring action from yeah. a wrestler's point of view. Brooks drop kick that time. Here's the call. Oh, oh, the leg, shoulders down. Kick at it, too. And Kendrick, Kendrick realizes that's why he's going for those quick covers real you know, fast. Nice drop toe hold. Don't, 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 don't get him. Get him. Oh, the timing was perfect with him to allow this more UFC real aesthetic. He kind of portrayed that because that's how they introduced him in ECW on commentary once too. That's true. Remember how they, he was calling like holds and that, that hold does this. Yep. Yep. Like he used that also when he went to SmackDown. And I just thought that that was what was cool to me. It was the first announcer. Like, I feel like the next people like him were like Morrow. They kind of yeah. had a real background to them with a real fight background. Right. So to speak. They knew what it was. Yep. That's fair. He also then became a Joey Styles partner on the, WWE version of ECW, which, which I didn't think was a bad was team. A good team. Yeah, I thought it was a fine team. Shitty uh, product, good team. Yeah, they they <laughs> did what they those two were tasked with a like like just a terrible thing. It really like, wasn't good. They they did what they could, right? You're right. And the task would almost like make light of it. I felt like when like the zombie came out and stuff. I remember him. <laughs> the calling, zombie. Yeah. The hell's like, what? that? What the hell's this? <laughs> like you know, like introducing first the zombie. Authenticity in his voice, though. Taz had the reaction of like the fan on the couch, (laughs) like reaction. (laughs) The guy at the bar, yeah, like third beer. I guess that's what just made him so charming and like. Yeah, he was unique. I can't say he's like one of the greatest of all time. He's not. He just was good. Like he's just like solid. Yeah, absolutely. And then he also unfortunately had to team with Mike Adamly and really had to help Adamly along. Didn't he later have to team with Cheese Breath? Well, yeah. Let me get to that. So to wind down Taz's commentating career here, so. When Joey Styles stops commentating, they bring Mike Adam Lee, who had failed at anything he had tried to do. Uh, no, I'm sorry to say <laughs> I'm that. Glad but nobody he, voted him in, or no, did they? I don't I even don't know. So I don't think I don't think he made it. But Taz and Adam Lee were commentators, and despite what I've said in the past uh, about Adam Lee, I do like Adam Lee's voice. It's just that the the <laughs> words he used, the way he used his voice, wasn't good. Put some elevation on that dick. Yeah, <laughs> you're making me crazy. Yeah. All that stuff. So Taz really had to help him along, and that's. Interesting, because Taz, like you mentioned, had only started. Yeah, it's amazing. He caught up real yeah. quick, and here he is, a seasoned broadcaster Isn't in wrestling. Weird to think? Helping along a seasoned broadcaster that wasn't involved in wrestling. So it was an odd team. Taz did his best. And then he went to TNA in 2009 to replace uh, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card himself. <laughs> Don, Don West. West. I spent my life trying to collect every Griffey Jr. rookie card I could collect. I don't like TNA, okay? And I don't like Mike Tanay, but I will say this. 
Taz was so much freaking better than he Don was good, West. right? He yes. was good over on TNA. You know, I I would say we don't have the most experience with it, but whenever I heard Taz and TNA, they seem to better. add a bit of a legitimacy to TNA. Like I can't say they hurt the product. They didn't hurt it. I mean, the product kind of was what it was. But like you said earlier, Taz just has this very casual guy at the bar, guy on the couch type of vibe. But he also knows what the hell he's talking right, about. Right, and you combine that with TNA, who also knows what he's talking about. He so does. Kind of like they, he knows his cheese. It's kind of the meeting of the minds with the with the kind of real fight sport thing going on. And the right? nerd in the basement or whatever you yeah, call today. <laughs> kid, kid in the basement with the Cheetos or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Or cheese breath. Thing. Old cheese breath. Yeah. Cheeto breath. So that would be Taz as a commentator. We'll get more on him in a second. The but- only thing I would say that sucked about... Um, Tanae and Taz as a combination is you didn't get that good moment like you did with Don West for the high five. Oh, stop it! <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take any chance I can to bring that up. I'm tempted to edit that out, but I won't. <laughs> Alright, so Quinn, it's ranking time. I'll run down real quick now the uh, the top ten and the bottom two for now. So at number one, again, it's Jesse Ventura. Number yeah. two, Tony Schiavone. Number three, Sir Lancelot Russell. Number four, Joey Styles. Five, King. Six, Mauro <laughs> Ranallo. Seven, Mike Tanae. Eight, Bob Cottle. Nine, Paul Heyman. Ten, Michael Cole. And then the bottom two, 11, Mooney. And 12, Jim Cornetta. Quinn, Bobby Heenan, where are we starting him? Mm-hmm. Would it be too high up to start at King? Or like, would it take too long? Let's okay. just compare him to King real quick. Okay, He's better than King in every single he way. He is better than King. I only, in every possible way. It's how I did with Jesse, right? It's just like, because King is that, you know, He's successor, the same thing. Like, so it's like always good to like entry point him there. I think as far as King, here's the fundamental difference between Bobby and King and the yeah. comedy department. Right. King's corny. Yeah, Bobby's witty. Now, that's not to say King's not corny by design. That's the point. I right? think that's also his sense of humor, though. Right. It's just a little cornier. Right. Bobby was a little more sharp. Yes. Witty. More- it's like the Don Rickles, like you said. Yeah, like, right. It's like, oh, this is a real comedian. Whereas, you know, King is like a Henny Youngman or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's similar, but not the same. My wife hates housework. I bought electric iron, electric dishwasher, electric dryer. She said, too many guys around, she had no place to sit down. What did I do? Bought her electric chair. Bobby Heenan, though, was just as good, and it just doesn't. It never gets mentioned because he was so damn funny. But Bobby could sell the drama of a match. Yeah. Tired of, the people that don't like his no, commentary, not that King couldn't. I, I've said that he can yeah, already. Okay. I'm just speaking up for Bobby here. <laughs> yeah. You are very, very defensive about King. <laughs> I just like to give him his fair. I shake. have been the one That's standing all. here dying on the hill that King will sell the drama. Yes, no one he else will. He, so, he will. So I'm just saying, we know Bobby can show up with that. But so, a lot of that gets overlooked because of his comedy. Yeah. Because he's so funny. No, Bobby is can he be can very sell, serious. And yeah. he can sell the wrestling holds yeah. and all that. He's just not Jesse Ventura about it. Right. But he's a lot funnier than Ventura. I guess we'll get to him, yeah. maybe. In terms of their... Uh, their legacies as announcers, I think Bobby is... is it's Bobby, it's far and away ahead of King. I mean, is Corey Graves, we've mentioned him a lot just because he's like the only real heel commentator anymore. Yeah. Is he trying to be a Bobby or is he trying to be a King? Probably trying to be a Bobby, although yes. I say probably to be a Jesse, but... I think so too, yeah. but if you had to pick, I mean... Yeah. No of those three, he's trying to be Jesse, but of yeah. those of Bobby or King, he's probably definitely trying to be Bobby. And here's the other thing. King was trying to be a Bobby somewhat. Yeah, he was. No, he was. I mean, that's what he was days. kind of tasked to do. Exactly. Right? I mean, like, and he 
he did it his own way, but yeah, and w- which is just a bit inferior, right? It's not a discredit to King. I mean, we're talking about Bobby. Heenan it's like here. we said, King is kind of like a like second generation VHS tape of Bobby. Right? He's yeah. not bad, but yeah. he's just not quite as sharp as the original. Right? And that's Bobby Heenan. He was uh, Bobby was obviously not the first heel commentator, right? Just same way Ventura wasn't. But Bobby wasn't trying to be a Jesse ripoff either. No, he was a completely different. He was a different animal. Spectrum. So then that brings us to Bobby and Joey Styles. Now, this is, again, we're putting color against play-by-play and color. That's what Styles was. He did everything. How do we handle this one, Quinn? Well, I say that the number one, I guess, excuse of why Bobby's better is he just did bigger things. Like He did bigger things, right? I mean, that's always been a big factor in this ranking, and I want to be consistent. Okay, that's fair. It's like Bobby is a, like, well-respected, like, people imitate him and he had a legacy on big moments I mean, he has one-liners that people can quote i remember when i was champion monsoon champion of what my neighborhood oh i had the prettiest date in the whole block that month oh you should have seen her the only gold you ever had was in your teeth pretty gold in my teeth they have japanese pages of one-liners here's the one thing in bobby's pocket that might help trump him throughout this whole ranking here right the royal rumble 92 is that's as far away considered one of the finest called things of all time and he's involved in it this is true another thing i want to mention though quinn let's let's do this here for the benefit of people listening does comedy have a place in wrestling announcing of course it does okay you think it does, right? Not everything yeah. needs to be treated super seriously all the time. No, and that's what Bobby provided. But although, you know, when you get to a serious moment, like Bobby called Ultimate Warrior versus Macho Man. And fantastically, and and he I, wasn't funny he in wasn't that. He wasn't goofy the whole way through that no. at, at all. Like or, he he was, that was, he used his Bobby, like the high stakes calling correct. way Bobby did, like at the Rumble 92. Like the way he called, listen to the way he calls Piper versus Bret Hart at yes, WrestleMania Yes, that's 8. good too. They start off kind of, you know, uh, bantering him and Gorilla, but then as the match heats up, they're not trying to be funny. Yeah. They're really getting in the drama or anything Bobby did that was a big main event in 91, 92, 93. Bobby had the, the serious Bobby kind of thing is the, him talking about like, Stuff like oh the fame and the fortune and they're what's gonna, on the line it's all on the line and right that, that's something Bobby was always good at like expressing and he didn't tear down wrestlers by the way he just made fun of them but he would never insult a wrestler's ability in the ring he would always give credit to guys like Bret Hart for being great wrestlers he just didn't like them unless you were like Terry Taylor well that's a different that's a storyline yeah. but in real life he didn't like Taylor anyway yeah. Oh, I don't think Terry Taylor was ever a problem where anybody had to punish him for what he did. He was so minute, it was unbelievable. Right. No, I'm, a, he's not a real, I'm not a real fan, I guess. No, I don't like him. Uh, I think you have to go with, on Legacy alone, he can hop over Joey Styles, obviously. Yeah, I, on Legacy alone, yeah. When you have a Legacy that big, yeah. like, as good as Joey Styles is, it's hard to, like, even match right. him because if anything joey styles is probably trying to integrate bobby the brain heenan things into his into his act yeah because he, he was like a jack of all trades he did both he was fantastic yeah it's so, not no disrespect to joey styles right but if you're joey styles you're trying to take every right. bit of the you know gorilla the bobby jesse like he's trying to do everything king even probably like probably. you know it's just everything involved in him Here's where I have an issue. I still think Lance Russell should be above Shivani. So now now I'm faced with a hard decision now of hopping Bobby over Lance Russell because I want to hop Bobby over Shivani. I think he's better than Lance Russell, though. Is Bobby. he better than Shivani, then? He's Bobby the Brain Eating. So if you can tell me why he's better than Shivani, I'm ignoring Lance Russell because I... 
he should be <laughs> no. above Tony Schiavone. No. What do you mean, no? I had it wrong with the Bret Hart We're not going to relitigate this on this show. Relitigate? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. It is. You, well, it's like you say. It's set in stone. Unfortunately. Is better than I, Russell. Well, uh, <laughs> then why is Bobby Heenan better than Tony Schiavone? He, again, a legacy thing. And also that he's... I think he can do more things than Shivani. Like Shivani is was always that more serious kind of guy, but Bobby, like we just said, could do both. Now they were a good team. They were also, good team. which shows you know how well they were able to work together. Yeah, but Bobby was a good team with everyone. Well, let's let's go through that real quick. Bobby was great with Girl Monsoon, obviously we all know. Yeah, and if they tacked on someone like Lord Hayes to that, they were still all good yeah, together. Or even Sean Mooney. Like he would Bobby somehow make Mooney, that work. They did MSG in yeah. '91, and it was actually good. Bobby was even good with Dick Graham for a one Philly show under, they did together. I don't understand how, but yeah. Because he's good. Yeah. And Bobby was very, very smart as an announcer because he knew who he was working with. Right. So if he was with Gorilla, he knew how to banter with Gorilla and when to be serious. If he was with Vince, he had a different style with Vince. He was still funny, yeah. but they wouldn't banter. They would call the matches and Bobby would get his shots in. With Shivani, it was very similar to the uh, Gorilla dynamic. Yeah, that's not to say Shivani wasn't good with multiple people because he, he was good with David Crockett and he was good with Dusty Bit Brain, yeah, uh, Jesse. Like he was also pretty dynamic. That's what I mean. This is close. Sometimes you could throw weird oddballs in there, and like I know, I don't know if Shivani could really handle that. I don't know. I mean, they're both good with multiple people. I think it's going to come down to legacy yet again. I, again, I'm we're ignoring Lance Russell because I don't want him to. I don't want Even to so, to Brain would mm-hmm. out-legacy Lance Russell. Okay, fine. Like, I mean, come on. Does he out-legacy Shivani? He has to. I think so. You know what's you know what's becoming apparent at this point in time? What? With this these top-tier guys like Russell yeah, and Shivani. As we get very specific with our criteria. It seems like with commentary that you know. these guys are such pros. They all are. That the fundamentals start to be thrown out the window and like legacy seems to have this really big weight well that's it has to because if we're strictly going on ability and only ability as a broadcaster ventura shivani would not be at the top king would be way down honestly i think i I think it's really i think it's really disingenuous to say shivani wouldn't be because his skill is world class at at a commentary it is. I mean, it just is. No, but just, disingenuous. Maybe I just messed up for I, a second. I, no, I just mean that cause it's it's like saying like, oh, because you know Lance Russell's forty year career like that. Those two aren't like equal at that fundamental like announcing. Well, Bob Cottle will be way up then too. If that's true, is all that counted, right? But Bob Cottle has no charisma whatsoever. So <laughs> that's part of his. That's part of his charisma. That's a good thing to compare Shivani and Brain. Well, I mean, Bobby Heenan is one of the most fun people to listen yeah, to ever. exactly so that's ever that, there's a point in bobby's favor yeah it's gonna come down to him and ventura i think yeah. for the top struggle here yeah this is the hot spot here brain versus ventura i feel like one of those those arguments that it depends on the day of the week <sighs> you know what i mean it's like asking me to pick my favorite beatles album yeah exactly you know i love them all yeah but again depends on the day of the week right like i'm digging this one now right so hard. And we have to throw their partners out the window because their partners can't factor into this. Just them, because Jesse also worked with Vince McMahon, not just Gorilla. He worked more with Vince, really. I mean, Bobby technically worked with more people. I mean, Bobby worked with more people. Yeah, I mean, Ventura's main partners were, Jack Reynolds, but his main partners were Vince, Gorilla Monsoon, Tony Schiavone, and JR. 
Those yeah. were his main partners. And the JR was only for like a little bit. And it wasn't good. Yeah. JR didn't want to work with them, really. Bobby worked with a lot more people. Now, let me compare length here. Jesse did it only for like nine years total. Yeah. With a break a in between. Time. It's still a long time. Bobby did it seven years in WWF, and then he did it from 94 to about 2000. So Bobby did it about 13 years. Yeah. A little bit so longer. about the same, though. That's not too big of a no between the two. No, it's not a big dearth. Magnitude-wise, Jesse called WrestleMania freaking one, two, three, four, five, and six. Right. He called Hogan Andre. He called Warrior versus Hogan. Then again, Bobby called Warrior versus Savage. Yep. Bobby called the Flair shit at Rumble 92. And WrestleMania 8. Called he WrestleMania also called 8. the Hogan heel turn. Again, another profound. <laughs> he did. I, I always, you have to, like, that is a moment. It's a you moment. Know I, mean? I know. I agree. He also called uh, Goldberg Hogan. Yep. And he's very good at it, too, yeah. in 98. Very he good. Called, he called a lot of good stuff in WCW. Jesse, however, called the main event February of 88. And you know what? I have to say, Jesse's starting to look really impressive against Brain right now. Like, maybe he could overtake him. Bobby's funnier. Yes, he's way funnier. Jesse's not supposed to be as funny, though. He's supposed to be more serious and more right. uh, hard-hitting. Now, does that lend... Does being more serious outweigh humor in this if it's holistic? That's like, the thing. Like, this is why it's so hard. Yeah. It's like, do you automatically like give the more serious guy the, the nod? Because, like, oh, this is a serious thing. You but know? it's wrestling. Yeah. Is it always supposed to be serious? No, it's not. Don't you want to laugh sometimes, too? I will say, Jesse racked up a profound list of stuff that he called that was a big deal, like, very quickly. It is an impressive resume there. And I think it speaks volumes to his talents as a broadcaster that he was the one chosen to be on all their pay-per-views. However, it speaks for Bobby that he was the one chosen to replace him on all their pay-per-views. If, if Jesse calls the WrestleMania 3... You know, the whole show, you know, Steamboat, Savage, and Hogan Andre. Yeah. What does that rack up against the Hogan heel turn call? To me, those are like pivotal points in Hulk Hogan's career that both of them <laughs> called. Well, one of them, he killed Andre right afterwards. Right. But I mean, that's also the like Hogan for all times is established as like this big force defeating I, Andre, right? I, I, I think, Quinn, that we also need to mention that he, you know, his probably most infamous call, Bobby's, was saying, whose side is he on? Which uh, yeah. fits in his character, and I don't think that he would. What is the verdict on that? Do you think that he fucked up? Because a lot of people like to shit on Brain for that. I think it's consistent with his character. And here's the thing: I didn't watch it live. I heard about it after. I don't know if anyone caught that at the time. It's only looked back upon now. You know, I don't know if yeah. people caught him saying that at the time. If it really did fuck anything up, it's kind of like who look at the adjective. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, uh, there's a lot of stuff in that whole build up <laughs> where people were like, that was dumb. Yeah, I know. Like, which is funny because at the time, I don't remember thinking about right. like grammar no. and shit. Like, and that's the thing. Did If you were watching that live, 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 folks, and if you can remember even noticing Bobby saying that, let us know. Again, I don't know if it really affected anything. Everyone still remembers the heel turn as one of the best things ever. It's and not like remember it, the call. Yeah, it's not like anything. It didn't ruin it. Because Brain was one of the big people during that call, and that call is probably going to, if anything, help elevate him above Jesse if it if it does is like I don't like that call that much. I think Bobby's what, honestly I think the whole everyone on, on board is fantastic. Sh- that's Shivani's time to shine though honestly. It's true, I but I think everyone contributed. Here's the thing. We are really, really at an impasse with these two. Yeah. With Ventura and Bobby because their voices are synonymous, both of them, with some of the best times in wrestling. 
Ventura for all the work he did in WWF and Bobby for all the work he did in WWF and some of his WCW stuff. Yeah. I'd say this. Bobby's WCW stuff is more fondly remembered than Ventura's. That's very true. Okay. So maybe... Oh, man. I love them both. Like, I really do. Maybe it's like we have to edge Bobby above because even when Bobby wasn't trying, he was good. Let me put it this way. Okay, here's one for you. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Even when he wasn't trying. Bobby and Jesse are both really good at making a bad match not boring. They're both good at that. And that's what a color man's supposed to do, right? Yeah. They're both good at keeping you engaged and entertained, even if it sucks. However, Jesse... And this is microscopic. I have my microscope out now, my micrometer right now. While well, you're looking tough. at the, the calipers, the samples with yeah. the little glass things with the, you know, we got beakers, obviously. So clearly. Beaker is here. Bobby doesn't grate on me pretty much ever. Jesse can grate on me in the slightest lot. bit. Like, in I, the slightest bit, Jesse can be overbearing to listen to sometimes. Again, micro, just the microscopic amount, but I think... Yeah, Jesse can sometimes wear on me a little bit. Sometimes just the whole like his attire can be like a little <laughs> overbearing. I I know this is really a minute thing, but they they tend to always like to make a a thing about that like at the beginning of each show. Well, I mean that was his gimmick, right? I know it's just sometimes it's really stupid. So what do you think, Quinn? Are we in a position now where <laughs> we're edging it out <sighs> over this minute like on the microscope? tile thing jesse's more serious and more legitimate but bobby is more fun and entertaining what do we do i could even say bobby's slightly more consistent if that makes any sense you think so yeah because i think jesse in wcw is a different person he's watered down well, i yeah. mean bobby kind of gets watered down too though quinn yeah but even at his most watered down he's still definitively bobby the brain heenan where like jesse becomes this like guy with an agenda because his union fell apart like <laughs> Like, it's just trash Hogan and stuff. Mm. Trash WWF. This is so hard. You know? Let's also mention that when Jesse came back in 2009 to do that old school battle royal with Vince, Jesse sounded as good as ever. Vince sounded like shit. Can I say this? Yeah. I think Jesse is more about going into business for himself, where his brain is like whatever company he's in. He, like, he works. He tries. Yeah. I, I have no other criteria. I'm going to say brain. Me too. Just by, like, a little bit. By like, hair. By a microscopic hair. Literally. And and for the record, folks, I just want to get this out there. Tony Schiavone should be below Lance Russell. Shush. All right. What? So no. Bobby Heenan now is number one, and that knocks Michael Cole off the top ten. Just so you know. <laughs> Good. Okay. He now, sucks. Now, the Taz, I think this will be easier. We'll yeah. just walk him up from Cornette from the bottom. Well, he's better than Cornette because he... You know, has actually called matches. Here so. we go again. Marty yeah. Howell's going to let you yeah. have another earful. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did do SmackDown every single week years. for like five years. Yeah. And then he did the ECW show. Is he a better broadcaster than Sean Mooney? I say yes. Yes, without question. He is better, right? Yeah, he's just he, better. There's, I don't even have to talk about that. Is he better than Michael Cole, though? I think he is. I, I don't think, know if he is. I think he was Cole's better half. Really? The I don't thing, know. The thing with Taz is, notice this. The moment Taz left, Cole just reverted back to shit no, Cole again. No, 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 no. He was good with JBL, too. The first the first heel, straight heel version of JBL, not having fun, Maggle. That went to shit really No, it quick. didn't. It was really good. And when JL started wrestling again. JL, yes. JL. When Mr. JL started wrestling again, then Cole got bad because they moved into Raw and then he was with King and ever, no one cared. But he was still good with JBL on SmackDown. There's, okay, you know what the thing with Taz is? Uh, it's like he left while he was ahead. 
there's not much. <laughs> Left there's WWF, no, you mean? I'm just saying there's not much to like that's bad about Taz, whereas Cole is like this gears of a crude <sighs> shit. But there's not a lot that stands. Like Taz isn't a remarkable commentator either. He's no Paul Heyman, and Paul he's Heyman, remarkable in the way that he just picked it up and learned it so fair. Quickly. He's but natural. That's Paul, something to be said there. Let me say this, Quinn. Paul Heyman's number ten. Taz is not better than Paul Heyman as an announcer, is he? I don't think he is. I think Heyman's better. Mm, that's hard to say. I think Paul Heyman's a better I color do, commentator. I do. I like Paul better, but again, with Paul, we have to keep remembering the short amount of time. Even Taz did it longer. He did it longer. But I think what I think what um, says a lot about Taz, and you kind of pointed it out. What the fact that they trusted him, and not that he succeeded because the guy he was working with just ultimately sucked. The fact that they trusted him as the veteran. With Mike Adam Lee. With Mike Adam Lee, that, like, he didn't even do it that long, and already, like, Taz was regarded as, like, it was good. really good, like he a was, pro. He was a solid broadcaster. But like, he, probably might might have been even more trusted than Michael Cole at that point in time. Let's not get crazy here. Like, I mean, they seem to have a, a they were, they seem to be really high on fucking Taz. He was a, he was a good announcer. Yeah. Is he better than Paul Heyman, though? <sighs> You know my heart says no. So does mine. But my brain says, like, you know, Heyman just didn't do it as long, and it's hard to, like... But I then guess. again, we said Heyman's better than Cole. And, and Cole's still doing it probably longer than almost anybody other than Lance Russell on this list. So. I don't think that... But again, we always say doing it for a long time doesn't mean you're good. That no, should, like, but, automatically mean you're the best. But to be continually employed for a long time says something, at least. You're doing something right. Nowadays, all that says is, like, you can deal with Vince McMahon yelling in your That ear. in itself, though, is an achievement, believe me, especially this day and age. It doesn't make you a good commentator. It doesn't. It just makes you good at it listening doesn't, or something. It doesn't. You're right. I don't think he... I don't want to put him above Heyman. I don't think Taz is going to make the top ten. We. I'll put him below Cole or right above Cole. Who's I, above Heyman? Just out of Bob Cottle and Taz no, ain't, ain't okay. hopping over Okay, Cottle. then, yeah. But I don't want to put him above Cole, I don't think. I think he should go above Mooney and below Cole. I mean, come on. Michael Cole has been has been a true freaking professional. Taz is great, too. Neither of them are remarkable. I Let's be to, honest. I hate to say it, though. What? Cole really suffers. And this is something we were talking about when we were moving Bobby up the list. Cole really suffers when he's with somebody that isn't very good. Which he, is everyone these days. Right. However, I want to mention this. A few weeks ago, we watched the Royal Rumble. Yeah, he was. I, Listen I, to me. Was, Can I make my okay. point? Let me make yeah. my point. Okay, go ahead. Because a couple of weeks ago, we were saying, do we ever want to hear Michael Cole? No. We had two matches worth of Tom Phillips. And then when Cole came back, even you, you were right next to me on the couch. It was like, see, Quinn, this is the one time I want to hear Michael Cole. Yeah, but then I, He's better get, than Tom Phillips. Then we get a couple minutes into the Royal Rumble, and I'm like. He's aggravating. Fuck. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like. If it makes you feel better, I can put Taz above Cole, but I don't, with what reason? I don't think he's really better. I mean, I don't, I just think he was more consistent and no. worked with other people better. Like he, you could insert Taz into most spots and he would just work. Well, he worked with, he worked with Michael Cole. Yeah. He worked with Joey Styles, good team. He yep. worked with, uh, what's his Mike face? Mike Tanay, cheese breath. <laughs> Mike Tanay, he was Mike the best, Adamley. He was the best cheese breath combo. Like, mm, I guess so. Well, he was better for TNA, I think, than Don West was. Yeah. Oh, this is tough because Michael Cole. nothing about either Cole or Taz really stands out, Quinn. Yes. We're grasping at straws here. the thing here. is, the thing that I can say about Cole is there, you know how I said before about like quitting while he was ahead kind of thing? Yeah, but like, why should Cole quit? No, no, no. I just meant that if, if I feel like we never got a spot to see Taz as this awful, like just parody of himself, terrible announcer. Like we never saw that. But I don't even think Cole, <laughs> I've never seen a bad Taz call. Where I've seen plenty of Cole ones. 
Yeah, but there's not a lot of notable Taz calls either. But I'm just saying, it's almost the reason why Heyman's above Cole also. Heyman was consistently always good, even though he didn't call much. You know what? Here's the thing. We're arguing the bottom 10 here, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. Well, we are arguing if Taz makes it at 10. No, he'd be at 11. Oh, if he elevated above Cole? Heyman's 10. Okay, then just put him... I don't want to put him below Cole, though. I really don't think he's below Cole. I'll put him above Cole just because he has it, a just more... Just it doesn't He's matter. more engaging to listen to, and it really doesn't matter. He's more versatile, too. Mm-hmm. He really is. I mean, you, okay. you, can get, you have to give him that. I'll give him whatever. All right, so let's put Taz at number 11, slide Cole down to 12. The bottom 10 doesn't matter anyway, so it's not yeah. it's not really consequential. Yeah. <sighs> well, that was a doozy, Quinn. That, that top two spots there, that was a tough oh, one boy. to... Uh, to do, but folks, we do have now another revised top 10 here for week number seven. Why don't we run it down here for you? And number one, the new number one, Barrel, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Just by like a micro hair. hair. Yeah. And number two, Jesse Ventura. Three, Tony Schiavone. Four, Lance Russell. Five, Joey Styles. Six, Jerry Lawler. Good. Seven, Mauro Ranallo. Eight, Mike Tanay. Nine, Bob Cottle. And ten, Paul Heyman. It's a hell of a list. It is a hell of a list, and obviously we know you're going to disagree. Feel free to let us know your royal rankings. Do that on Twitter at OVP Podcast or join the group. But Quinn, when we come back, it's time to hit the big time. We'll be hitting that up right after this. Were you surprised at how well he did over in WWF? Or- no, not at all. Bobby's a talent, but he could never surpass me, and I think he always was jealous of that. Because every time they put him in to replace me as an announcer, as soon as I came back, he was delegated back down to the second team. And I think Bobby always had a little animosity at me for that. Hmm. Jesse went and did that movie with uh, Arnold. He was doing prime time then. So then Vince asked me if I would want to do that. I said, sure. So... I, I walked into it. How's That's what happened to me at WCW, too. They didn't like Jesse there because him and Hogan have a, a problem. Jesse has a bigger problem than Hogan does. And Jesse was jealous of Hogan. That's what it was. Jesse probably has more sleepless nights worrying about Hogan than he does the state of Minnesota. <laughs> Hogan is never worried about Jesse. And now, back to our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast here in episode number 117. And Quinn, before we hit the big time, want to remind you guys out there, maybe you don't know this, there are other wrestling podcasts. Yeah, they do exist. And they're not hosted, all of them, by Conrad Thompson, believe it or not. He hosts everything nowadays, <laughs> but not these shows. shows. No, not these shows. These are other shows that do the same kind of thing that we do. Just regular guys that are doing their best on the indie circuit, on the indie podcast yeah, the circuit. wrestling press. Yeah, the media wrestling or whatever. Press. press time. So we're going to give you three press time. We're going to give you three shows that we really like and we want you to check out. Let's start with the wrestling podcast about nothing WPAN. You can check that show out every single Monday. It is hosted by two guys that have actually worked in the wrestling business. One of them is an independent ref- wrestling referee that is currently on an extended hiatus. Or retirement. Yeah, retirement. He is Mean Mike Crockett. The biggest of the daddies. The meanest of the mics. And his partner, Quinn, is an actual wrestler that actually wrestles in the actual ring of honor. He is one half of the bouncers. His name is the kingpin, Brian Malonis. Or a bouncer, Wine City Whaler, as That's we right. call him around here. Bouncer, Wine City Whaler. Once he leaves the bouncers, obviously he'll just be regular Wine City. Right. But And what these guys do this is really cool. They've worked in the business, so they take that perspective and they bring it to their show. But they are also fans of old wrestling, so sometimes you'll get some retro talk. It's a really cool show. Check it out. The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. 
And then please don't miss on Thursdays, the critically acclaimed, the critics' favorite. Even Jay Sherman doesn't say it stinks. It is Greetings from Allentown, GF Allentown. It is hosted by one very quirky, lonely young man. His name is Peter Winston. Yeah, New York Times podcast section gave it up four stars. <laughs> Huff Post really liked it, too. Yeah, Huff Post. <laughs> now, Petey, that hot site. <laughs> now, what Petey does is he'll take an old episode of wrestling, anything. It could be a Raw from 98, perhaps. And he will use that as his canvas, as his backdrop, if you will, to paint a very vivid psychedelic picture about the retro wrestling. But he will interweave into that stories, anecdotes, asides, and random thoughts, stream of consciousness, if you will. It is a really quirky, unique show. It is called Greetings from Allentown. Check it out. And also check out, because if you like your wrestling with a side of barbecued ribs and coleslaw, check out Booking the Territory with Mike Mills and Don't his crew. The grits, Joe. Oh, there's grits too. You, yes, you excuse up. me. There, no grits? What? Oh, there's grits. I'm Sorry. not going to be there if there's no grits. No, you, there's grits. Please, okay. Okay. please. Because there's, there's grits. Check out Booking the Territory because what they do is they travel south of that Mason and Dixon line and they review NWA from the Jim Crockett era right now. And they also do the Smoky Mountains. So they got two shows there. It's a really cool time. Does that I mean they've watched a show where Jim Cornette was on commentary? <laughs> Perhaps. Posted from an abandoned smoky forest. <laughs> Check out our three friends of the show, the wrestling podcast about nothing, greetings from Allentown, and book in the territory. But Quinn, it's time to hit the big time. Big time! That's right. Now, we are taking a dip not quite as far back as last week where we went to the 60s. We're going to the late 70s here, and we're going to the Motor City, Quinn. We're going to Detroit. The city of cars or whatever. Yes, literally. Ford was there. It's also very cold there. It is definitely very cold there. Now, we're going to NWA Detroit, otherwise known as Big Time Wrestling. Now, this is a very old promotion. It got started actually in 1945. Jeez. I know. Now, was the the guy here, was he involved in 1949? No. Or that was later? The Sheik, the original Sheik, sometimes he's known as, Sabu's uncle, Ed Farhat, or whatever. Mr. Farhat. (laughs) He took over the promotion in the 60s. And this was an NWA territory. It went out of business in 1980. And we're in 1970. (laughs) We're in 1978 right here. So we're near the end of the tether. It is something a little different from what we've seen, Quinn. And we actually referenced it at the top of the show. It did somewhat pioneer the hardcore style of wrestling. Yeah, but just like the ECW, um, it was run very poorly business-wise. It was run rather poorly. Notorious reputation for yep. being very poorly run. I think bad pay, that kind of thing. Bad pay. It doesn't look like they were doing any big business here by 78, which is probably why they went out of business two years and later. My understanding also, they never really pushed younger talent was one of their problems. No, it doesn't Unless look... Unless you were an amateur wrestler or something, right. but we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, we will. Now, they used to run shows at the Cobo Hall, which is probably most famous for uh, the giant being pushed to his near death by Hulk Hogan in 1995. Oh, I thought that was Japanese, the Kobo Hall. No, the Kobo Hall here is <laughs> not near Ribera. Yeah. The Kobo Hall was uh, where they used to run shows. By this point, they are in a much smaller venue, which we'll get to. And this is a promotion, Quinn, that I don't think I had watched a single lick of until we watched this. There's not this. much of it out there. I mean, it's there's on not. YouTube and stuff, but it's, you can find there's not there. much of it. Yeah, and there's no specific date here. This is just Detroit Big Time Wrestling. <laughs> big, yeah. t- big Time. October of 1978. So to set the stage in the rest of wrestling here, the WWF is still the WWWF. Uh, yep. Bob Backlund has recently become the champion. Still the champion. <laughs> uh, in, in the NWA, though, Harley Race 
Ah is the champion there, and we'll actually get a name drop of him later, which is kind of funny. So let's get right to this, Quinn, and if you folks want to follow along with us, you can find this on the YouTube right now. Just nope. look up. I don't think anyone's going to take no. it down. Look up Big Time Wrestling Detroit, October of 78. So we're greeted, Quinn, with a Roman wrestling uh, sculpture. That- I would say it's probably a statue because there's no way it's really tall. It's probably just like this little <laughs> tiny little It's kind of like something you'd find in Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, good point. It's kind of like that. That Remember the monkey thing? You had to put the three things and nobody could ever see the figure out how to put it together. <laughs> it looks like that. It's exactly right. Now he's got to turn it around. You got to turn that monkey around. We're told that the NWA and Worldwide Sports present America's number one spectator sport, professional big-time wrestling. We get some marching band music under it. Oh, get used to the marching band music. There are a lot of it. Uh, We're greeted by the announcers, Quinn. And they're in a cage? What the fuck is this? They're literally in a steel cage. Like, only the announcers. It's like a tiny steel (laughs) cage just for them. It's it's almost like they're, like, at the OTB or something. Like, like, just in case, like, you know, some gamblers get a little handy over there. Yeah, a little handy. Their names are Chuck Allen and Terry Sullivan, and man, are they dressed like this is the 70s. Oh, yes. But don't... 70s haircuts, 70s suits, 70s puffy shirts. The whole shebang. Professional big time wrestling. I'm Chuck Allen, and it's my pleasure right now to introduce to you an old friend who's been here before, Terry Sullivan. Terry, it's great to have you back with us on Pro Wrestling. So then Chuck Allen segues in very smoothly into also being the ring announcer, like from the desk. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, as we go to the ring for our first match here from Germany, it is. Eddie Dice. Yeah, more like no dice. <laughs> this guy, Very what a dice. name. Also, he looks like shit. <laughs> he does. Yeah. His opponent is from Las Vegas, and Quinn, it is Austin Idol. We know him. Now, shouldn't have Austin Idol been called uh, Eddie Dice because Vegas Dice? Like, <laughs> okay, I didn't pick Is up it on just that ironic? One. Also, he seems like a Billy Graham ripoff. Well, many people were. Yeah, Austin Idol is a name, folks, that you might know, and he started kind of early on, around the same time as Billy Graham, a little later. Whenever I think of the name Austin Idol, I think of like a punk rock singer. This this is, this is just because off the of top Billy of Idol, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like that name to me it's sounds like name. it should be like a punk rock. Well, guy. I think it's a good name. And I think Austin Idol had a good look. But I mean, he was somewhat hampered by coexisting with Billy Graham, who was just better in every way. Yeah, it's at true. what he did. You know, he's the Detroit Billy Graham. I guess so. He was a, he was a notable name. But he hadn't quite made a big splash yet. It would really be in the 80s in Memphis where he had a great feud with King. That That's probably his best work. But Remember King? Yeah, remember King. Speaking of 70s, the ref here is about 70, and he's dressed in slacks with a belt. And I a believe sh- he'll be the ref for the rest of the I night, he's like the every single match. Yeah. But, I mean, they don't have much money. So. <laughs> right. So Austin Idol takes off his robe and shows off his nice purple tights. Described by Chuck Allen for the benefit of those watching on black and white television. Look at that beautiful of those of you who are watching on black and white television. It's purple with pink on the inside. What a contrast in colors. This is amazing because it's 1978. Like, color isn't new at this point. It's really not. I know that they still sold black and white TVs, but you have to imagine a lot of people had color by then, right? So, I don't know. Here's a, a fun fact that. You know, I just actually heard about recently. It was just kind of a coincidence. Go ahead, Quinn. They were talking about the, in some article about like the uh, the adoption of new technologies and like the history of that. Sure. Apparently, like color TV was one of the quickest turnovers. Like people just like, as soon as color came out, people were replacing their sets. I like, would imagine. I mean, in, like, in, on network television, I think it was 1965, I think it was CBS or maybe all three networks switched to all color programming as incentive for people yeah, to start like, no, buying Yeah, no, people them. switched fast. Yeah. And also in the early, in the mid-60s when color came about, 
a lot of people actually didn't even have TV. Like TV was still new. So there was probably even people who were getting their first TVs that just were already color. Yeah, as the prices started to come yeah, down exactly. and people could afford them. Good point. So Idol looks like a star, at least, as the announcers say that his cape costs $12,000. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, no. No. Just, no it, it's just a cape. It's like the same cape from that episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> Larry like, David in the cape? Yeah. <laughs> the lawyer in the cape? Yeah. Why is Mr. Costanza with a man in a cape? Well, it is good cape weather. Cool, breezy. <laughs> Circle to start as Chuck mentions that Dice is also wearing purple. The crowd is about the size of the audience for the Ron Popeil infomercials, I must say. If you followed all the instructional material, you just... By the way, proud curtain in the oh, background. Yeah. Like, Anytime there's a curtain, Quinn picks up on it. Well, it's always a weird thing. Like, why are you blocking that off? I don't know. Like, what's behind there? Is there like wires or something? Like, I, I just always like wonder what's behind the curtain. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a Wizard of Oz complex. <laughs> Chuck compares Austin Idol to Gorgeous George and someone else, but he can't remember <laughs> who the other person yeah, is. That he's thinking Gorgeous of. George and the. I don't, I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't somebody. Know who. And there's one other one, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of his name, and I can't. Who was much of a prima donna in that ring? I'm trying to think of who he might have been thinking of. Was he thinking of maybe Buddy Rogers, the Kate Crusader? <laughs> I don't know. Side headlock by Idol as we're informed that the ref's name is Al Bulldog Thomas. Okay, what a name. We ride the headlock for quite a while here. You know, Dice is a very weird looking person. Like he could be 25, but he could also be 55. Yeah, I like, couldn't it, place it, him. It really was tough. It I was, was like looking at him for a minute and like. Like actually thinking about it. I was like, is he young? Is he old? Could be old. He's definitely not middle-aged, but he's, you know, like, you know. (laughs) It was tough to tell. The tiny crowd, I will say, is at least very loud. I swear, though, there's like literally 80 people here. I'm not But they're in a small space, so it works. It reverberates. It's intimate. It's nice. Yeah. Very dice. It works in the same way that the Jim Crockett Promotions tape Studio, yeah. Yeah, It's the same way. It's like you don't need a lot of people because the the place is so small that it seems like there's a lot of people there. Right. And they're into it. Yeah. Like when you watch the Tonight Show, you know there's not like a lot of people there, even though they like when they pan to the crowd, it seems like there's a bunch. Yeah. How many does that, how many is that? Like I several hundred, maybe. I, I don't even think it holds a hundred. It doesn't. No, it's look more like than a hundred. The no, Tonight Show. The Tonight Show. Yeah, look at the audience. It's got to be more than a hundred. It's probably like five or eight hundred. There's probably only like thirty rows tops, and it, they're not that long. Oh, there's a hundred. There's there's hundreds. Thirty rows. Fifty uh, people. Uh, I'd a row, say there's maybe? fifteen people in a row, most likely. The answer is two eighty nine. We get a, a hair pull takedown by Idol per Chuck. The crowd literally does a no chant for a second with one guy even waving his arms the way Daniel Bryan <laughs> hey, they did. They were the precursor. <laughs> That's right. They, they invented it over in the big time. History is made here. Yeah. Both men up as Idol poses like Billy Graham or Jesse Ventura's super macho man. I don't know. It's all the same thing anyway. It is all the same. Chuck mentions that Austin Idol works out with isometrics every day. Yeah, not Ica Pro. <laughs> I, I don't, what the fuck is isometrics anyway? I don't anyway? know. Isn't that like a three quarter 3D view in video games? That's what I, I always I have thought. no idea what that means. <laughs> so Idol with a, a stomp and then a kick. Does Idol have any other moves? It's like, boring. Yeah. Boring squash here. The ring mat is kind of like a dull basement couch colored orange. It looks like a creamy shit. <laughs> like that's like Sorry. honestly like what it looks like to me. <laughs> the lowbrow humor here, yeah. Quinn. Uh, chin lock by Idol that he keeps on for a few months here as the hard camera's color just completely changes. And it's only like one camera because they, yeah. you know, number one, number two. Yeah. Like they do that and the color gets better like over and over Did again. like a cable get pulled out a little bit now, and do, fucked do up the color? Do you notice they like abandon that after two switches? They're, yeah, they're like, like, oh, oh shit, this is fucked problems, up. Folks. Like, go to the other camera. Like. <laughs> Body slam by Idol into a pin, but Idol pulls him up at a one count. He now 
bouncer. That's a brutality with like no care in his yeah, voice. He's so like, he's like, that's that's a brutality. <laughs> and then uh, Idol gets a noogie for a win. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Fantastic. <laughs> noogie. I hate the finishers where it's just like a very dumb looking submission hold like that. Like the noogie, the tongue well, throat tickle that Haku used to do. My favorite part here is that he... The announcer goes, it's the submission hold. Yeah, he has no he name for it. He doesn't even say what it is. It's like, that's his finisher, the submission hold. It's a temple massage. It's nothing. It's horrible. Did it, is that is the name of it the submission hold? Like, I really couldn't figure that out. I don't think so. So That'd be amazing if somebody, like, <laughs> named their finisher just instead. Of, like, you know what? It's a submission hold. I'm just going to call it the, the submission, submission hold. hold. Yeah. <laughs> so Idol walks over to Chuck Allen and his Gorilla Monsoon suit, because that's literally... Yeah. Chuck Allen is dressed like 1987 Gorilla Monsoon. The yep. coat and everything, it's funny. And Idol says, no one in the world can withstand that noogie hold. I'm pretty sure every eight-year-old in the world would agree, at least. Yeah. And Austin's like, call your girlfriends as we go to break. Shut up. <laughs> Seriously, shut up. <laughs> it wasn't good. We're back with Danny Fargo versus Mark Lewin Ugh, with both uh, men in the ring. Fuck, it's Lewin again. Why does he have to rear his ugly head? Main, now, he's got more hair here. And like, oh, he looks he's actually better here. way better shaped than he was in the 80s. Oh. Only like a couple years later. Right. Like, this is a, a guy where it's like how Snooka and ECW, like, what the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, like, how does that happen he looks insanely better in shape in this he almost actually with his hair and his like muscle mass he looked like super macho man like exactly like, <laughs> think about him for one with second the hair, yeah. yeah like <laughs> seriously true. so terry sullivan grabs a mic and interviews terry funk which you can barely hear yeah, very poor production quality i did i really didn't realize this was terry funk until, right like he kind of there was like this profile view of him so and i you couldn't, couldn't like, hear it i was like that's terry funk's voice though right. right and i was like i wasn't sure and then he turned his head and i was like okay it's terry funk it's terry funk and part of the reason why he's harder to recognize is he's still in his nwa serious wrestler mode like he kind of looks like dory he's no got mustache short right young and he's young yeah it's great you want to talk about my brother and leave him stranded? What I want to do is I want to get this fat puke out of the ring, and I want to wrestle you now. Funk kicks Danny Fargo out of the ring so he can kick Mark Lewin's ass himself. Okay, I like this. I like this, this. Is, this is where this show picks up. Would you say it's a high risk? Thank yeah, you. high risk wrestling. <laughs> we get a bell and somewhat of a hot start here as the camera work is atrocious for a couple of minutes, probably compensating for that color fucked up camera. Some back and forth punching to start. Lewin takes Funk down with a hammerlock. Lewin is in really good condition. You're right. Yeah, it's true. Al Thomas still the ref, like we said. And I like kind of Chuck Allen's voice and style, at least. I didn't, like, I, I didn't even remember these guys' names the whole way through, <laughs> so I, don't, I couldn't tell you which one's Chuck Allen, which one's the other guy. It, it doesn't matter. Lewin continues to work the arm. Funk, by the way, clearly a heel. Yeah, and the tiny crowd is eating this up. I actually have to say they're hyped. Uh, the announcers are so amazed that they get to see a non-jobber yeah, match. They're too. like literally kind of they're saying like it's that. a main event yeah. anywhere in the country. Like <laughs> all excited, they're very excited about. Look, this it's match. two people who have finishing moves fighting <laughs> each other. They're, they're amazed by this. <laughs> Funk with big chops and a headbutt, but he still can't escape that arm ringer. Saloon with a boot to the armpits. Terry Sullivan starts to sound like Mike today, just without the cheese in his voice. Less cheese breath. Less cheese breath. Yeah. As Lewin switches to a wrist lock, Chuck Allen assures us. 
This is, I, I like this. There's no contract for this yes, match. Yes, they were very, they went in big detail about this. No money was put up. There's no insurance by the NWA. <laughs> the insurance part got me. Therefore, I was like, what does that mean? Therefore, these guys, they're not protected against injury with the NWA. I thought it was a nice touch, now, though, Quinn. Does that mean, as far as the whole big kayfabe, you know how we're always building on kayfabe on this show? Right. Does that mean in kayfabe now that we've established that every match they sign an insurance policy well, before, like <laughs> the match? At least in the NWA. I don't know WWF's oh, okay, rules. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they don't have the insurance. I mean, they don't have the top rope thing there either. Yeah. So. <laughs> they still don't have insurance maybe to this that, day. Maybe the top rope thing is how you get insurance. Like, it's the agreement they make with the insurance company. It's like, you can wrestle, but, you but can't no sh- top rope moves. I like that it's theory. It's a pre-existing condition. I, w- <laughs> you know? I want to go with that for the rest yeah. of time, that that's why WWF yeah. doesn't have insurance. Yeah. Is because they allow top rope moves. Exactly. And no company's insuring that shit. Why would no one's take- underwriting it's that. It's high risk. It's a high risk See? maneuver. There you go. High yeah. risk wrestling. That's yeah. when Lewin decided fuck it, I'm going to allow this. We don't need the insurance companies either. (laughs) You know? Finally, Funk escapes the arm shit and throws Lewin to the floor. Funker stomps Lewin on the apron and then the ref just randomly calls for the bell. I didn't know what that was about. I don't don't need it. I think it was just an excuse for them to fight outside to be honest with you. I think so because Funk throws him into the chairs, then grabs a piece of broken chair, but Lewin takes control of it and nails Funk in the head with the broken chair. And I just go, this is hardcore, EC-dub, EC-dub. <laughs> like, it feels like it is ECW. Funk fights back, Lou, and grabs a sleeper, and then Walter Johnson runs in. He's a football player yes, in a football, football jersey. Man. Yeah. And now, excuse my, like, lack of 70s football knowledge, but I, I thought this guy, his name sounded like I thought he was a big deal. I'm not sure. I don't think he is, folks, if you know more than I do. I think yeah. he was just a football player. But he comes in, knocks out Lou with a blackjack. Yeah, what the fuck? That was unexpected. Yeah. Then Funk grabs another piece of chair outside and beats the shit out of Lewin with it while Johnson watches. Then this beatdown just continues for a while as Funk is also busted open. Lewin's dead. This is good. Yeah, that was like, good. All of this is good. I loved it. It was very, like, abrupt, and yep. it didn't seem like a normal thing. Very violent without being dangerous. Just yep. violent. Like, it yep. looked intense. It looked violent, but no danger. You yeah, know? no, it was good. It was just well done. That's kind of what we were yeah. harping on to circle back in the first segment. Just, yeah. It was brutal, but it wasn't going to kill anyone. It exactly. wasn't really hurt them. But it looked like they really hated each other. Correct. So the heels celebrate as we go to break. And we return with, I have no idea what's happening. There's a fat man in overalls. An old man in a leisure suit throws a punch at someone. Okay. Uh, What was that? So this guy. Who was that? They come back to break right. And they're clearly like um, helping Lewin to the back. Right. But randomly, like amongst all the people helping, there's a guy in a blue leisure suit that's balding with glasses. He looks like he's 60. And he takes a fucking swing at Lewin, who's being like lifeless yeah. and dragged. And I was like, what the fuck? What, what and I that? swear it happened. And, and there's a lot of yelling going Commotion, on. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I... They just never remarked on it ever again. No, I think at one point the announcers are like, we're sorry for all the confusion, folks, yeah. right? Something like that. With the way the fans were just wandering in, do you think that was a fan who didn't like Mark Lewin? It's possible. Like, it was Seriously. Like, Fuck you. Like, it is possible. There's no barricade. I mean, the fans yeah. are literally right there. Yeah. It's possible. I, I don't know. Like, that guy, maybe that guy just mixed himself up in the, the in people the, taking him in away. The throng of thought people. he could take a shot. <laughs> take a shot at Mark well, Lewin. I don't blame him for not liking Mark Lewin. Yeah. Anyway, Chuck uh, allows Terry here to do the ring announcements. Very nice of them. The fat overalled man here is called Big Red. Yeah, horrible. His opponent is Danny Fargo. That's the jobber that Funk just kicked right. out of the ring earlier. No. What are they like? Uh, you could wrestle this but match He was instead. scheduled to fight on this program. You don't want it, his contract. You know, he signed the insurance policy oh, and true. everything, so you gotta 
give him something. Good point. Now, Big Red kind of has, you know, a fat Uncle Elmer vibe, except he has Don Henley's 70s Eagles hair. He does. <laughs> he looks like shit, He does. Oh. Apparently, he's the first wrestler going to be named after chewing gum, oh. unless there was a juicy fruit wrestler in the 60s or something. Oh, come on! The announcers talk about their cage again without explaining why they're in it, but yeah. Quinn, it is new, it's well-constructed, and it's very heavy, they say. They're very proud that they have this cage to protect them. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's like their bank tellers <laughs> yeah. or something. The OTB cage, yeah, I like the that OTB. one. <laughs> this is a squash and a rather poor one. Uh, more arm work by Big Red for Arm work seems to be the hours. big trend in this show. Is that the big time? I guess yeah. it's arm work. Yeah, it's arm work time. Arm work. Fargo punches back with uh, some punches, and Red throws him into the corner and goes all bear hugger on his ass like seriously he looks like bear hugger why do former wrestlers generally suck like why is that a thing would you say overalls they're bad (laughs) (laughs) okay will you you be serious he then rides fargo like a horsey that's the second (laughs) week in a row of the horsey rides and then he spanks his ass and sits on him look at the hot sitting action awful Chuck says to call your friends and let them know that wrestling is on the air. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, you know, they don't have color TV also. So, you know, these these are new concepts. I guess so. Finally, a splash off the ropes by Big Red gets the win. Who cares? No one. Yeah. Chuck is now with Walter Johnson and Terry Funk. Yeah, Walter Johnson is apparently in a contract dispute with the NFL. So I guess he's like a celebrity wrestler. <laughs> yes, I don't like know. the Lawrence Taylor of this company. <laughs> Did anyone know who this guy was? I have no idea. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to go out on a limb. Yeah, go out on a limb. His name does sound like I've heard it before. Like, maybe in his time he was known. I don't know. It might not be anyone. And we might sound really stupid when this comes out. And, like, people will just be like, what What do you mean? Walter Johnson's an NFL Hall of Famer or something. I don't think so, Quinn. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Funk is pissed off and cuts a pretty good promo there. He challenges any one of the sports fans, the professional athletes, the bums, and the jerks. <laughs> Basically everyone. <laughs> to a match. And he'll put up $5,000 of his own money if Mark Lewin or anyone else anyone can pin him. specifically. Anyone. So some jerk in a t-shirt and glasses <laughs> comes over from the crowd and Funk asks what this goof is doing here. He doesn't like people standing that close to him. The yeah, guys- now they, they did say right before this, we didn't mention that like fans were about to ask questions. Yes, so correct. like So he He's not, it's not like he is randomly challenged. He's not out of order. Yeah. So the guy's name is Scott Head. (laughs) No, it is. Yes, it is. I didn't catch that last name. First of all, I'd like to have your name, sir. Scott Head. Scott Head. And he asked if Terry Funk is such a good champion, how come he lost his belt to Harley Race? Ooh. So Funk just threatens to backhand Scott Head right in the head and challenges to wrestle him at the Kobo. He calls him a fatso and he calls him a jerk. That was that awesome. fat, though. He's not really, but... Yeah, he's like, you know, he's probably like 18. He looks like he's 18, 20 years yeah. old, maybe. Yeah. A little chunky, just but came not too in the bad. fights tonight. <laughs> came know, in the one fights. of those kind of situations. Right. But that was, Funk was great there. Yeah. Now Walter Johnson fields a question from Rodney about why he gave up football to wrestle. So Mr. Johnson here politely tells young Rodney, that he had a contract that's issue, so he's going to wrestle for now. So he's supposed to be a heel. He's like way too nice I know, to Rodney. Very polite. <laughs> very polite to Rodney. He's like, I'm going to be here for a year. I'm going to be here for a year, young man. Why did you give up your uh, football pro career for wrestling? Well, last year I had a contract problem with the Bengals, so I'm playing out my option this year. Okay. You can go back to your seat. <laughs> like, you know, like, it was like just so polite. Like, it's like, I don't know, like a youth center. Right. Kind of like thing. a YMCA like, almost. Yeah. <laughs> then Funk just interjects out of nowhere to Johnson. He's like, hey, that Mark Lewin, he's a bigot <laughs> and he's a jerk. Yeah. Well, 
What the hell? Out of nowhere. Yeah. And then Chuck Allen asks Walter why he's in a contract dispute with the Bengals. And he doesn't really answer, but he says it's time to wrestle now year Something round. This lawyer, I yeah, guess I so. Know. He doesn't really say. Yeah, but he's not retiring from football. He's just going to sit out. Just this taking year. a quick break. Yep. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Yeah. The big scoop. Yeah. So we get a break. We return with Mike Wayne versus Walter Johnson himself. Johnson has, I guess, a pretty good look. I suppose mm-hmm. it's okay. He looks like a football player. Best wrestler. In. No. <laughs> Wayne is a chubby jobber with Mark Yeaton hair and mustache. Mm-hmm. Nothing happening here for a couple minutes. Johnson's clearly new to wrestling. He. Yeah. Talks is Wayne in the outside and kind of just stands there waiting for him to get back in. Yeah, you know it goes football player wrestling. Yeah. Like that's basically like it's everything you'd expect. It's like Falco or whatever. Early Mongo. Yeah. It, honestly, yeah. just not. Well, I really, thought Mongo got fun, but not 96, yeah. though. No, by 97, though. Yeah. It was decent. 97. Irish whip in by Johnson. Big shoulder block into a splash for the win. Cool. <laughs> Chuck hypes up the big Dory Funk Jr. and Sheik versus Bulldog Kent and Stan Stasiak match coming up soon. That's our main event. But first, we go to the announcers in the cage (laughs) for highlights of the Ampro Wrestling (laughs) at East Lansing University a few weeks ago. You may ask what that means. Well, Quinn, it's actual college wrestling. Like amateur wrestling. What the yes. fuck am I watching, Joe? Quinn, it's Tim Deshaun versus Jeff Thomas, and Terry Sullivan is on commentary. Who, who, which Sullivan is this? This is the uh, co- color commentator for the show we're watching. Oh, that guy. He's doing amateur wrestling now. They're literally, we're watching folks, amateur wrestling. <sighs> amateur wrestling! It's hideous, Joe. I feel like I'm watching the high school sports channel. MSG Plus or whatever. Yeah, MSG Plus or something. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Well, I guess here we go. It's an amateur wrestling oh God, match. You're gonna call this, Jeff. Collar and elbow. Deshaun gets a takedown. <laughs> Jeff gets a single leg takedown. Tim no. escapes. Another takedown on the ride by Tim Deshaun. Single leg attempt by Jeff Thomas. No points. First period is over, and we rest. This is hideous, Jeff. Second period starts from the sitting position and both men up. Thomas gets a point off and escape. Collar and elbow goes nowhere before Thomas gets a single leg again. He rides Tim on the mat for a while. As I continue to contemplate why we're fucking watching amateur wrestling on a professional wrestling show. Listen, at this point, I stopped taking notes, Joe, and I literally went to take a shit. Like, and then I came back. You left this on in the background. This sucks! It's way too long! Like, why the fuck is this happening? Well, the ref calls his tell me, which means both men get up and go to a neutral position. Thomas continues to ride as the score is now saved. 7-2 to in favor of Thomas. Wrist lock by Thomas, but they roll out of Why bounds. are you calling this? Why not? Oh my god. Now, apparently, this is the best part. There's th- two other matches going on in yeah, this, this same part. gym. Like, yeah, they pan they around. Pan they're like, look, there's other stuff. And the announcers are like, we're picking the best match in our opinion. And as soon as the other one starts, they like do this hard cut right like back to that one. Wastelock again into a single leg by Thomas. He grapevines legs and rides again. The announcers claim that there are similarities but also differences between this and pro wrestling. Yeah, you mean like one is actually watchable? <laughs> Fuck! This is this is the, one of the worst things I have ever seen on anything we've reviewed. Well, because we didn't sign up for this. I don't want to watch I don't, don't want to watch this. Tim gets a point for an escape but gets taken down again as the score is now 10-3 for Jeff Thomas. Apparently, for each minute that you ride an opponent for longer than he rides you, you get an extra point. Cool. What? They Great. roll They roll around a bit more on this ride, and there's a separate riding time clock. I'll take, I'll take them for a ride. <laughs> time runs out, and Jeff Thomas is the winner on points. 
Back to the announcers at the cage. What the fuck was this? Was Even this? They look like deer caught in a headlight when they come Seriously. back. Like, all right. So for you wrestling experts out there, you historians, was this a regular feature on big time wrestling? I think we'd only know that if anybody from Detroit who lived there in the seventies knew. Like, in Tom all honesty, Bryan? Yeah. I think Tom Bryan's from Detroit, and I think he's pretty old. No offense. Let us know if you know anything about this Ampro this is thing. Hideous. That was so freaking unexpected. Be, that's unacceptable in my eyes. You know, I would not be surprised if that happened in the AWA. Yeah, actually, this was a step further than Vern ever went. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, Vern still had pro wrestling. That was the style of wrestling. This was almost wrestling. like Ed Farhat was like <laughs> fart hat. Like I can fart I'll, fart. Like he could top Vern like one step further <laughs> right? or something. Like this is like a joke almost, like, like an inside you, joke. Vern. Fuck your Brad Ryan. Yeah. Here's real amateur wrestling. Yeah. We got Jeff Thomas, motherfucker, from the local high school <laughs> in the area. Like Quinn. By the way, they used to call us heart fart. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, fart, I needed to get that in. Far hat, fart, <laughs> fart, fart, fart hat. <laughs> we go to break. We come back for the big main event, and at least some of these are names that we know. We got Stan, the man, Stasiak, former WWF champion, and Bulldog Don Kent. They're in the ring with their manager, Pretty Boy Floyd Creechman. Their opponent. Their opponents. What a name. <laughs> their opponents are the Sheik and Dory Funk Jr. And they're accompanied by Sheik's manager, the Palestinian Brain. Eddie Creechman. So there's a lot of Creechman here. <laughs> yeah, there's two Creechmans. Fuck are the Creechmans? Also, also, Sheik looks very Sabu here. He does with the headdress and everything. Or no whatever. Samu. No Samu. Chuck Allen hypes up the heart punch. What? No, nobody no should cares. ever be hyping up the heart. That's the worst move I've it's ever seen. Terrible in Terrible finisher. Yeah, uh, not worse than the Noogie though. Why is the Sheik a face? By the way, he was like almost universally a heel. This guy he never leaves. Probably, and, and he's, he's always here. Promotion. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's he why he does own it. Yeah. Terry Sullivan says that he'd pay 25 bucks for a ringside seat, which is a cheap price. That's a lot of money probably, though, in 78, don't you think? I I mean, we'd have to look up inflation. I bet you it's like 50 bucks or something. Let's double. I'll I'll, I'll have to look into that. I want to know. $95.20. Uh, Sheik does his sh- ceremonial prayers, you know, in the corner. As we Say get, your prayers, yeah. Sheik. We get a big, go, Sheik, go, that chant. That very popular chant. Yeah, I always say that. It's iconic chant, really. I mean, it's like up there with the yes. And it is. Like that and no. And no, especially. Yeah. Dorian Stasiak lock up. Funk is the house fire tosses Kent from the ring. Bulldog Kent here looks to be about 60 years old. He has a very Arnold Skoland-esque vibe going he on. He does. And actually, I was looking for a second. I was like, is that Arnie? Like, did no, he make a guest appearance here? But they're about the same age, yeah. I think. He's definitely in his 60s or mm-hmm. something. So Dory gets worked over in the heel corner for a while before tagging in a Sheik, who looks like crud, too. <laughs> it's really sad when Dory Funk Jr. is the youngest person looking. Yeah, the, youngest ben- looking person. the Benjamin Button of wrestling, oh, whereas, like, Leilani Kai is the Benjamina Button of wrestling. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Uh, Sabu's uncle hammers away at Meat's dad here before tagging Dory Mr. back Meat. in. <laughs> Mr. Meat. Yeah. Double underhook suit play by Dory onto Bulldog Kent. Stasiak and Sheik brawl on the outside near the cage and st- this <laughs> is the best. Yes, this is really fun. good. This whole ending is good. Stasiak actually goes inside the cage, but Sheik now can't get in the door. And then Stasiak's like, "Hey, let me out of here!" Hey, let me out of here! Yeah, so he can clearly open it too, which makes it even more right. funny. Like you see the door like flimsily flopping yeah. back and forth, and the whole show they've been being like, "This is reinforced." Solid. It, it looks like I. 
it looks like nothing. Right. They're moving it around as yeah, they wrestle. Exactly. It's not mounted to anything. It's terrible. It's very flimsy. So she climbs the cage with a wooden chair in hand. I can't even believe the cage didn't fall over. I know. Taunting Stasiak as he hides behind the announcers. Yeah. She throws the chair at Stasiak. It's good. But it misses. Yeah. And then Stan the man climbs the corner of the cage, gets pounded down by Sheik, and time runs out of television. They're like, we here. gotta go. We gotta like, go, folks. Sheik enters the cage as well. Chuck Allen literally waves goodbye as Sheik is throwing a chair across the screen at Stasia. So good. This was all good at the end. Yeah, so this was different, Quinn. It didn't feel like anything I've ever seen. Yeah, it was super fun other than that amateur garbage. I mean... What the hell was that? I, that was a real stark, like change from right. everything else that was going on in this show. Very shocking. Very like a big shock to the system. All of a sudden we cut to an amateur wrestling. Like literally amateur wrestling. Yeah. Well, that was big time wrestling, a promotion that we never right. done. It was a time promotion we have never done before. Uh can't say I really want to do it again. Although there are some older episodes. I saw a 1969 on the recommendations on YouTube. I don't know about you. When yeah, I've seen it. the 69 one pop up. I haven't watched it. I wouldn't be opposed to doing more of it, but we'd have to go early. We'd yeah, have to do that 60s shit. worse the further back you go? No, like, I think the it was good, and then this is on the downturn. They're out yeah. of business in two years. Who knows? We're, we're talking like w, or ECW on TNN in its dying days, yeah. this type of stuff, because gotcha. they were in Cobo Hall earlier, and I think they did a lot better business-wise in uh-huh. the 60s. So I would be interested to check that out and see if maybe they were ahead of their time in the 60s. Yeah, but they could have also been like testing things out in this because they were falling down the stairs. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's possible. Maybe that's why we had things like this weird cage and like fighting on top of it. You might be right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, folks, if you know anything more about big time wrestling, please let us know. I'm always interested to learn things. Honestly, I, I want to know what this amateur shit was about. But overall, Quinn, it was fun. It was just weird. Yeah, it wasn't that bad of a show. It was just, yeah, I don't know what the amateur wrestling was about. So right. A good thing we'll never watch that again. Both Funk Brothers were definitely the highlights. Terry, for all of his like crazed heel antics and yeah. the whole Dory Funk match with the Sheik and I even liked, was I fun. I like uh, Walter Johnson. I thought even though his wrestling wasn't good, but like that surprising like with the blackjack. Yeah, the beatdown. Yeah, that the, was really cool. The heel beatdown was good. So folks, we hope you enjoyed yet another romp through the world of retro wrestling. We will, of course, be back next week for episode number 118. In the meantime, please feel free to reach us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can email us. Or of course, if you have a Facebook, join the group. It'll be a really fun time. If you want to donate check out our tiers on patreon.com slash OVP podcast and if you have iTunes, Apple Music why don't you leave us a review, we'd appreciate that, but until next time I am Joe Murata, that is the original Sheik himself, Michael Quinn and we are out of here see ya He's wrestling a man from Michigan State who, at this point, I really don't know that much about. Jeff is a sophomore from uh, Huntington, New York, graduate of Huntington High School. He compiled a 6-5 and five record in 76 and 77. But check out his high school record, 125-4-1. Two individual similar. state championships while he was in high school. So your, your man, Tim, Tim Dishaw from Toledo, would apparently have his hands full. Yes, it does look like that. The scores now became 2-1 to one in favor of the right. Thomas. He scored a nice takedown off a single leg takedown. Uh, almost worked for back points, but didn't quite score it. Tim has now escaped. 
and is working for the for more points. The reason the match was just stopped was that they went off the mat. If two supporting points of one wrestler leave the mat, such as the feet, then it is considered off the mat. Okay? Or excuse me, if, if two supporting points of one wrestler are on the mat, then it's considered on the mat. However, if one of each are... Who cares?